Blog Talk Radio. Use the 
heaven What else in hell Can you get an open line to heaven At 11-11 Emerge at the other end Of the meditation port tools And elevated walk tools Even some abort tools Any questions, comments or concerns Press one To everyone else Thanks for attending another session I'm pleased to teach but it's an honor to learn Certainly Courtesy of KTL University. Oh, please don't be frightened. I'm terribly sorry about this. You are! Peace, 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 peace to the family. Peace to you and yours. Peace to you and yours. This is Nonetheless Radio. And you are now rocking with the best. Yes, indeed. This is your host, Brother Blue Pill, for Alive and Direct to you. I am on the streets of Los Angeles in mid-motion, all right, getting this thing set up. Red Pill, call me on the, um, on a three-way so I can pull you in while I set this computer up. All right? Family, welcome back. Relax yourselves. All right? We are going to be... Bringing you another monumental episode, and of course, live and direct. We're going to be bringing it to you in real time here on KTR Radio. All right, let me get some things together. It's going to be a little bit more quieter in a little while, but I am in Starbucks right now. I had to pull over to get the show on the road. All right, I got stuck a little bit longer outside than I anticipated. Hold on one second, y'all. Give me one second. One second, y'all. Brother Ray, if you are on the line, please call me on the other line so I can bring you in a three-way, Okay. Oh, man. Family, be patient, please. In the meantime, in between time, you can post to your social media outlets that you are here on KTL Radio. You're back in the building. Rocking with the best for another monumental episode. Thank you to everyone who participated in Friday for our special program with the brother A.A. Rashid. You know what I'm saying? I was definitely one for the record books. Excuse me one second. Can I? Can you there? We can. Oh, okay. Family, 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 family. Things that it takes to put together these programs. Welcome back. Ah, This chat room open. Let me get the studio open. Open up these lines. Bring the brother in. We got some treats for you tonight, family. 
Get your pads and your pens ready. All right, you're in for a treat. Do not, do not let this uh, momentary Starbucks background noise get to you. We're going to be able to put it on mute in a second once we get some things in order. All right? And it will definitely be worth your wait. So what else are you going to do tonight? Look at an NBA game? Come on now. See for real. Foremost, shout out to everyone that uh that I saw this past weekend out here, sunny Los Angeles, you know, some of the family that came out to the Wesley Muhammad event. Shout out to Wesley Muhammad. Shout out to everybody that made their way to the Crash Center and joined us for that beautiful event. Okay. And then everyone that came out on Sunday to Umar's event at Blessed Love. Shout out to Blessed Love and the family over there, and definitely shout out to our brother, Omar Johnson, who will be in the building momentarily, all right? So it was a beautiful, beautiful weekend. Um, and I'm sure that there's a story to tell about where you were at, family, and what you experienced, you know? I know the NY family definitely uh, was in for a treat this weekend, for the first annual UFO conference, okay? So the minute I get this horn open, this Jack studio, and I'm going to get the chat room open as well, and we're going to get some feedback from Brother Red about the things that go on in New York. So any minute now, page is loading, studio is opening. All right, family, we ask that you post it to your Facebook Send out a tweet. Throw a pitch up on Instagram. Share it. I don't even know how to do that thing, but and if I'm missing some networks, I'm sure that there's more networks out there that you could do all these cool, groovy things on to notify people how you are spending your time and who you're spending your time with. All right? Or let them know we are in the building. KTR Radio is on and live. All right? Yes, indeed. Yeah, I, um, I'm going to mute my phone, y'all, as soon as I get this brother in. As soon as I get him in on the line and he starts chopping it up, I'm sure that y'all can hear all of this uh, background noise. And I do apologize. But I'm, I'm downtown Los Angeles. It gets kind of super raunchy over here. You know, Starbucks is some people's living room, literally. And that's how they treat it. So, just waiting on this computer to load. To remind the family this Memorial Day weekend, I hear it, might, it may not be going down in Brooklyn. You know, Bam is going through some, some makeovers or what have you. And, and, and it's up in the air. I don't even know if it's going to go down this year. It definitely is not going to be in the same formality that you're used to. But we're going to be out in Georgia, all right, an hour out of Atlanta, Georgia, and Marlin, Georgia. We're going to be out there doing a Something Fresh Fest, 
somethingfreshfest.com is where you can go and find out about Something Fresh Fest, all right, and find out about the tickets and everything and all of the cool ways that you can participate with us on 200 acres of privatized land, indigenous land, out in Marlin, Georgia. There's going to be seminar speakers, uh, Stick One, Supernova Slum, Red Pill, Blue Pill. I think Kaya is going to be there since the Genesis is going to be there. Oh, yeah, if anybody in New York went to that event out in Nicholas, Sister Genesis, you know, we also want to hear from you a little later, okay? And then we know that uh, she brought something new and refreshing to the family that was uh, very timely, okay? So, yes, you know, May's almost here. The end of May is right around the corner. You definitely want to tune in to find out what you need to do to get involved with this monumental event. All right, I believe it's like camping. You know, you're going to be sleeping in a while. Everybody that's talking about getting back to your business roots and living on a grid and everything, well, now is your opportunity, you know what I'm saying, to, to get into the grid, you know, get onto the land, should I say, and get onto some more land, land of the moors, and, and practicing what you preach, being about that life, that wildlife, okay? So check it out. It's gonna be it's gonna be a beautiful event, you know. And once you go to the website, you can get some more insight into exactly what's being offered, how it's going down, and how you can participate. And we definitely, definitely look forward to seeing you. All right. This is gonna be a prelude of many bigger things to come, dealing with land and transformation and living off the grid and doing yourself. All right, a lot of these events are, are your gateways, things you have to go through just to get that taste in your mouth to see if this is what you really want. And then you can go forward. Two, let me open up the line for my co-host. Call up from the 347. Peace. Peace, peace, peace to the family. Peace to the family. Welcome to Nodalist Radio. You are now rocking with the best. Yes, this is your co-host, brother by the name of Red Phil. Live and direct in the building, what happened? Oh, you already know. You know, I lined it up. I spoke about my weekend. Let's speak about yours. Well, we had a very powerful weekend in New York City. First and foremost, I want to say salute, love and light to everybody, um, all of the wonderful people that I met this weekend that was at the event, the UFO Conference. Uh, in Harlem, National Black Theater. Uh, it just amazes me. I promise you. I, I, I'm speaking from my heart right now. Excuse me if I might tear up. But just the, you know, the love, you know what I'm saying? The, uh, the people that we touch with this radio show and the way that they, you know, reciprocate the love when we meet, you know what I mean? It means a lot to me. You know what I'm saying? It means a lot to us. Uh, it blows me away. I'm not aware of the reach of the show family because this is an audio, you know, this is a radio show. It's not like we're doing live seminars and things like that. I don't get to see and touch the people. So when I see who it is that we are touching and reaching, you know, it's from 8 to 88, you know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's heartwarming. Uh, once again, the, you know, I, I love the support. Uh, the family was definitely um, snatching up those New Kings County shirts. You know, salute to everybody. Uh, they were asking about that soul goal, that uh, seven having Seamoss. If I had a dollar every time that they was asking me about that Seamoss, 
I probably wake up in a Bugatti, you know. But uh, you know, it's a beautiful thing. I look forward to seeing the family at that uh in um Georgia Memorial Weekend in Marlin, Georgia. You know, I'm going down to Georgia to prepare for that a few weeks ahead of time and also the Malcolm X Fest with the legends that Prez gonna be headlining that event. That's gonna be one to not miss. I believe that's May eighteenth. You can you can shake a leg. All my NYC, you know what I mean, Tri-State area family. Make sure y'all make it down to the A. Connect with your kids, folks. Connect with your family. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have to fire up the RV. You were down there with the RV. Yeah, let huh? them know, Blue. Let them know how Atlanta's moving when it comes to that consciousness. They are forced to be reckoned with, you know what I mean? They have a humongous oh, yeah. movement. They have, a, they have a burgeoning scene. It's very fresh. It's, um, you know, I had to travel around the country to appreciate Atlanta for what it is that people were saying it was because initially I didn't see it for that, you know what I'm saying? And then I got around other places and I was like, okay, I could appreciate Atlanta. I could really yeah. appreciate Atlanta. You but know it's, what I'm saying? It's also Atlanta, Charlotte, it's yeah. North Carolina, South Carolina, ATL, the Alabama family, the Mississippi, yeah. the Tennessee, ah. that whole club. Ah. Yeah, all legends. Yes. Um, Speaking about Atlanta, to send a special love and light to our sister, A. Genesis. She came to New York and completely body bagged and did her thing. You know what I mean? She had her event as well on Sunday at Nicholas Bookstore and really turned up. You know what I'm saying? The sisters came out in full force for healing, for enlightenment. We managed to get a clip in on Sinetta TV family. Look out for that. That's coming up. I interviewed her right there on 25th. You know what I mean? She's officially a legend. She got her button. She's a made woman. Okay. Um, she would definitely be ringing off the hook after they see that clip. You know what I mean? She represented. And it was it was similar to when she came on the show, but you get to see it live. You get to see her in all of her splendor with the fix Right. So what we're going to do is, um, first and foremost, that's why I got to give a shout-out, a salute. I mean, if, if, if you can, 44 Gunham, Ross Ben, the legend, Deborah Blair, the legend, Brother Polite, the legend, Dr. Phil Valentine, the bona fide, certified legend. He completely went upstairs with this one. Um, you already know he threw Games of Thrones under the bus. I'm going to forgive him for that. But he went all the way in. You know, classic Phil, okay, classic Phil, King Simon, the whole family, the productions. I believe we may have a special guest in the building um, calling in from the uh, 646. I'm not sure if you are in front of the call. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I see we have a special guest. Let me go to caller from the 347-347-465. Caller. Peace. Peace, peace. It's Brother Polite. Brother Polite. Hey, fuck. <laughs> Good, brother. Uh, hold tap, hold tap. What it look like? Okay, how you been, bro? Been great, man. We miss you out here, Blue. Been great. Yeah, man. I I, I miss home as well. You know what I'm saying? I, I will be touching ground sometime next month. That's cool. Well, you'll be well you know? received, bro. But the red pill is holding okay. it down. Can it happen? Yeah, yes, sir. It's been a minute since we had you here on on PTL. You know what I'm saying? The family has been asking about you. But we got yes, you sir. here now. 
So, you know what I'm saying? I, I know that we definitely must be in for a treat. Oh, yeah. Well, I was building with the Red Pill, and he was bringing some things to my attention that he feels should be expounded upon in our community, positive things. And, you know, uh, because of my influence in, in a certain genre of information, particularly in the case of economics and even uh, politics on a scale, he was just uh, suggesting to me to incorporate some of these ideas before our brothers and sisters that represent the vendor community because it will help them excel and exceed the expectations they have for them for themselves. So I said I'd be more than glad to call in and also just give a thanks and a tribute to the people that participated in the UFO conference, Roz Ben, uh, also Dr. Delbert Blair, as well as Reverend Dr. Bill Valentine. He did a, it was, I just got the phone with him again. I talked to him a couple times today. He's been talking a, a lot. Uh, and, and he laid it at the fact that he gave me such great acknowledgement. He told me I remind him of himself when younger, and that's a that's a uh, impactful statement for someone like him to say something like that to someone like myself. That means a lot to me. So, um, and he just he's just been building with me and mentoring for as of the last couple of weeks, actually just building back and forth. And he felt real good about the way business was conducted at the event, how he was treated and his embrace and the level of professionalism from him traveling, his accommodations and everything. So I feel good. And, of course, Delbert Blair is good. He's chilling at Marquette. We got him out here for a week, you know, just to kind of relax. And I'm going to be doing a stream for Dr. Delbert Blair, and I'm going to ask everybody to participate on Friday, and I'm going to do some fundraising for the Dr. Delbert Blair. He's contributed so much to our community at such length. And, because I've been chauffeuring him around and building with him the whole time. It's been a blessing this week for the UFO conference, just being able to be so close to the living legends and to, and to be younger and, and just following in their footpath and to just speak to them in, on a personal note and for them to give critique, which, you know, Phil gave me plenty of critique. Uh, and it was just healthy critique. It wasn't the type of critique that makes you put your head down in shame and can't make eye contact. You know, it was, it was really more inspirational. Uh, criticisms, not even really directed towards me per se, but just the community you have to interface with and things that he's perceived to uh, happen because of what he has undergone when he was coming up. So it's been a blessing being with the elders and with Dr. Delbert Blair, him sharing so much. You know, I'm presently working on uh, his real estate, a real estate case in the devil for the brother because he's our elder. He contributed a great deal to our community and he's undergoing a foreclosure uh, right now and pretty much doing most of what he does himself. And then also uh, health health uh, crisis and different implications has taken place. And we, we want to take care of him, man, because he's taking care of us at such great length. And he's healed so many people uh, through his teachings and, and through the satisfaction of what he has to offer through his products that it behooves myself and it should behoove our community to take care of him. I oftentimes think about Dr. Ben and the people that support and embrace him and how our brother, our wise elder, that people quote from him so much. If we took everybody that just quotes Dr. Ben's lectures or Dr. Ben's books, if we just got a person, if we got every person to contribute $10 per quote around the world that says, yo, Dr. Ben once said this, Dr. Ben once said that, that man should not be in a nursing home. 
you feel me, for so much people to say that he has contributed to their life at such great length. So for Dr. Delbert Blair, I'm like, I'm in this generation. I wasn't conscious when Dr. Ben was doing him. I just kind of got put on. Not too long ago, if you consider the amount of time he'd been teaching. So I'm still like a newborn in many ways, in many respects, in all humility. So when I'm looking at Dr. Delbert Blair and being able to connect with him on such a large scale, it's like, man, just really being able to dig and uh, dig deep and get into conversation personal, business-wise, socially, spiritually, metaphysically. I'm like, man, I have to do more. And, you know, I, I was even in tears today just building with him and, and seeing how much further we got to go after a huge event and successful event. I was, I was on a high only to come back down to earth and be like, man, it was a good look, and we're going somewhere in this community but we can't lose sight of our eldest guy. I'm like, one day uh, I, I should make his age, and I should have contributed as much as he did, if not tried to exceed that expectation. And I certainly want more for my generation of teachers than we have available for that generation of teachers. So I'm asking everybody to contribute. We'll be at New Covenant TV. We'll be conducting the stream on New Covenant TV. Uh, and we'll be raising some funds and teaching. It's going to be metaphysical. He, Dr. Double Blair is going to be on it just teaching. This is going to be on Friday, okay? We're going to pull it from Friday, on Friday from 8 till. I'm going to see uh, the good doctor is going to go in hard, and we're going to give him every dollar that we bring in and get some stuff rolling. And that's not for me for the services that I'm giving him. I'm doing that on the strength as voluntarily. You know, he, he, got, he got hit real good with some money when I did the event and more. And also I'm doing the services for him absolutely free, but he needs more. And I'm working on something real special for the elders as far as a pension plan in the conscious community. I talked about it, but I just got to initiate it because if people say good idea and they don't go forward, I'm just going to initiate it. So with that part, because I know you have a program going on, just go to New Covenant TV uh, Friday from 8 o'clock p.m. until and we'll be doing some fundraising for Dr. Delbert Blair in honor of a teacher that has contributed to this community, made the world a safer place, uh, contributed to our better health and wellness, contributed to our intellectual capacity on an individual scale and as a collective, and has given us so much just over the last weekend. We want to give them major kudos and props, and we want to put our money where our mouth is. So I'm just asking everybody to just spread the word that we have to support our elder. We don't, we don't want to see him go down in vain after he's helped so much people. That seems to be the legacy of our, of our elders in our community. They give you everything they got, and then when they, when they meet that maturity date uh, into eldership, then, you know, we're just looking for the next generation of teachers, and we just leave them to the side. And, you know, I, I'm not from his generation, but I, I'm, I'm part of a generation that has benefited from his teachings, and that's all I can say about that. And whether you know him or not, just, just be part of, the spirit force of group economics and a black collective and support towards someone other than yourself. When you help other than yourself, that selfless act of love is gives you a warm embrace from the universe, and in turn you get abundance. So let's, let's do that for our brothers. So that's going to be 8 p.m. on Friday at New Covenant TV. We also, I'm also going to be speaking on my decision uh, whether or not I will be debating Ali Muhammad on what, is, what are the cultural and economic remedies to which end we could use it as a catalyst to liberate our people. What are the cultural and economic remedies that we can employ effectively as a collective to get our people to the next level? This is a debate about the solution. The first round 
will be on group economics. Pardon me. The first round will be on the historical origins of Islam and its effect on indigenous people world over, good or bad. That will be first round if we do the debate. And then the second round will be on so what is the political science that we can employ as well as the economic remedy solutions. Uh, and that one might not really be so much a debate that round. It's going to be a debate on the issues politically and socially, but that, that's, that's a conversation that undoubtedly we will benefit from. So I'm going to speak on my decision. A lot of elders, you know, I've interfaced with that are very interested, and it will be the first debate of its kind where you see the elders in, in, uh, presently there. You know, I'm talking Dr. Jeffries, who said he will be there. I'm talking uh, Ray Higgins, who's against debates, who told me personally on the phone, Light, if you take it, I'm going to be there. I'm talking Professor Smalls, Professor Kava. I'm telling you, this is not a joke. Uh, it got a lot of people's attention when we reached out to the community. So I weighed in on it, and, I mean, Brother Ali Muhammad was supposed to weigh in and bring back some numbers from a Canada debate. He didn't show up to the Canada debate. He failed the drug test. So I'm going to weigh in on my decision ultimately. I really, uh, that's supposed to just throw it out the window, but by Thursday on Sonnetta TV at 7 p.m., it's going to be called the decision. And with that, we'll have a full itinerary of what we will be doing or not doing on June 22nd. We're going to have something for the people June 22nd. We're just going to decipher. But I think it would be a great debate. But I'm weighing in on certain options and some of the politics and the science. So aside from that, that'll be uh, this Thursday, 7 p.m. at Sarnetta TV. We love the brother Sarnetta. He put a lot of uh, effort into contributing to this community. And he gained such a great momentum in the last year, such a great momentum as of the last year. He's been doing what he do, but I, I'm seeing it really come to fruition as of the last year. And a shout-out to everyone. When we say Sarnetta, we're saying everybody that contributes to his channel because the people help make him. You know, I don't think they'll have a problem saying that. He's not the one in front of the camera most of the time. He's behind it. So, you know, the people are – this also is simultaneously giving thanks to everyone else that participates in his program, you know. And then lastly, I would like to give thanks to the everybody that supported the event this last Sunday. Uh, we did some record numbers on the subject matter, which I got a lot of flack for. And people like, nobody want to hear that. Nobody want to see that. I guess they did because we went over 400 people at the UFO conference for melanated people. Okay, 400 plus people. Red Pill was in the building. He'll tell you. Like, you know what I'm saying? He'll tell you the numbers were stacked. We had the constant chairs, which we had. It was powerful. To see so much of us there for something metaphysical, something conscious. You know, before anything manifests in the physical realm, it takes place in the spirit. Y'all already know. So this this was the prerequisite to any potential debate or lectures we're going to have on our terrestrial issues, all right? And everybody did a stellar job bringing in the information, and we did the numbers. And people say, polite, why are you always bragging about the numbers? Or, you know, why the numbers mean something? It don't matter if 10 or 15 people hear you. And I agree. If you got a powerful message and it reaches 10 people, that is good. But as conscious intellectuals and businessmen and businesswomen, it is incumbent that we take on the responsibility of making sure that we produce better numbers each event. Why? It's because the people that benefit from it, namely the vendors. And two, 
if you bring your mother out to an event or you bring your your deaf, dumb, and blind best friend or girlfriend or boyfriend to an event, you will want to know that if that event can in-house 400 people, 500 people, you will want to know that when you bring your friend, your well-wisher, or your advocate, or someone you're just concerned about their future, you will want to know that you're not bringing them into something that only has 12 people in attendance when the place can hold 500 people, okay? Because subconsciously, it impresses upon their mind how interesting this subject matter is and relevant it is and pertinent it is to our life as a people. So when people came out with a girlfriend and a boyfriend and a mothers and a aunts and a uncles at the UFO conference, I said, man, I was so happy because they was able to see a lot of people are interested in it, so that person doesn't go home and look like a weirdo. Like, yeah, there's only 12 of you niggas on planet Earth that really give a fuck about this shit. You know what I'm saying? At least they can come to the conference and say, yo, maybe I was off all these years. Here it is. I'm thinking that my son is a weirdo, but he, there's a large group of people into this. Where have I been all this time? That's the impression we want to give to people when we do these events. So when I talk about the numbers... It's not an ego. It comes off like that at times. Yes, indeed. You've got to have a level of ego to be successful. When, you got, uh, when you're in a line of business where people are constantly trying to tear you right. down every, every momentum towards your progression. So you've got to have tough skin in, in this business. So when you're over here trying to come up and you've got people constantly putting negative messages out about you and, and trying to be detractors and having tough skin, you're going to develop a certain level of arrogance to protect yourself. But don't get it twisted. The reason why the numbers are so very important is because we want to impress upon the minds of the people that you bring to the event that if they haven't been paying attention, yeah, a lot of people think this. A lot of people feel like this. A lot of people are concerned about this. A lot of people study this. And that's why we want to have the numbers get bigger and bigger. And the more bigger the numbers get, the more the vendors can be embraced and the more they can benefit. So when I go to bed at night and I know that I hope host or I, I was a prim, the primary host for a UFO conference. The beauty about being right. the host UFO conference is to have so much people come out that the vendors are able to say, yo, it was worth my while. I was able to make this much money. Like Red Pill, he can attest. He did great as a vendor, okay, and a proud patron and supporter, but he did great as a vendor of the event because of the amount of people that showed up. And I want to give an apology to the vendors as far as not giving them even more time for, for people to consume and to purchase their products because of a, a mild mis, uh, miscommunication in the way in which the itinerary would go down. But I want them to know that we don't undermine them. We embrace them and we support them. And I'm, I'm, I got the list of the vendors. And before we do our next major event, which we're looking to break those numbers, okay, in June, before we do our next major, and we're looking to go past 400, I wanna, I'm going to be setting up a vendor's union so it can be cheaper for vendors that have been supporting us consistently and also to create more effective marketing strategies and techniques for them to bring more people to their table and for us to participate in their success as the host of the event. So that's what we'll be doing for them. No doubt, no doubt, brother. People have been calling for that for a minute, so, um, you know, I'm elated that you're taking that task on. The family definitely needs some sort of unionizing, you know, and we look forward to this next chapter in economics. But we do have tonight's guest in the building, 
And if people no have doubt. showed up in uh in big numbers, patient in his delivery tonight, we salute you, brother polite. Please get continue to do monumental magnanimous work in the community. I look forward to uh seeing some of that footage from the UFO conference. And and I look forward to the second annual one. You know what I mean? I, I might have a, just a little bit of input, you know what I'm saying, to put on the record. But um, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. Nonetheless, brother. We salute you. We appreciate you. Shout out yes, to your sir. family. Uh, all right. And all the new covenant. And, right. um, you know, you got to come back on and do your thing. All right. And salute to the brother that's coming on, brother Umar, correct? Yes, absolutely. Yes, sir. Okay. Salute to that brother for all the great work. Okay? He's been doing his contributions to the community. Get that much, brother. Much love and praise on our behalf of new covenant. Peace. Peace, brother. Okay, family. All right. I don't want to keep you waiting any longer, family. With no further ado, I don't think our guest needs any introduction. But just in case you uh you know might have been living under a rock for a few years, I'm gonna just give you a brief introduction into what tonight's episode is about. Okay. Join on the Lead Radio for another blockbuster presentation. Dr. Umar Johnson makes a long-awaited return to KTL Radio due to knowledge on a plethora of topics affecting the collective quote-unquote African family, not only stateside but abroad. There is a lot of ground to cover tonight, so tune in to one of our premier voices as he sounds off on a crop of issues that are literally out of bounds. Are we being unstrategically reactionary? Is there more than to eye with the resurgence of race into the national conversation? What are the latest developments on the psychiatric front as it pertains to our children? More importantly, what has Dr. Umar been working on that represents change for the collective African family? Family, with no further ado, we present to you caller from the 215-215-989, direct from Philly, PA. Peace, Dr. Philly. Umar. Peace and love, Phil. It's an honor to be back on the show. Aha. Peace and love yes, to all the listeners this evening. RBG for life. Great Garvey Day to everybody. I'm good to be back. That's right. Honor, honor to have you back, brother. You know what I'm saying? Magical things happen when you're on this program. So, you know, I'm just sitting back and letting the magic take place. It's been a minute, but, um, you know, everybody seems to be saying this is the right time to have Brother Umar back. <laughs> No doubt. Just a few no things doubt. in the headline that have been capturing my attention. I wonder, uh, you know, have any of these things might have come across your front desk? Okay. The first one. Oh, uh, you know, we, we, we spoke about some of these things just now in the description. There has just been this unprecedented resurgence of the race conversation into not only the national convo, but as it seems, you know, people are using it to address us in a global capacity as well, you know, saying that because of our um, international standing in certain parts of the world, this is how we're being viewed and dealt with, you know, here in the States and vice versa, you know. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, It's a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, I'm sure that you know that. That's why we have you here tonight. So I'll let you get into some of that at your own pace. But, you know, we definitely want to touch on the topics. Certainly. I think that 
one of the most pressing issues or one of the most sensationalized topics at this moment is the issue of Donald Sterling, the L.A. Clippers owner. The NBA announced today that he would be banned from the league for life. And unfortunately, so many black people, as they did with the election of President Obama, um, misinterpreted that particular set of events as being indicative of some type of racial justice. Nothing could be further from the truth. Let us keep in mind that Sterling is a European Jew, and all of the news stations are controlled by European Jews, and 99% of the print media is also controlled by European Jews. So the question becomes, why would rich and powerful European Jews allow one of their own to be outed on their networks and in their newspapers? This was unprecedented, and it had nothing to do with racial justice. The reason Sterling was exposed and outed is because he is a hillbilly Jew. And what I mean by that is he doesn't like to do what he's told by the ruling Jewish elite. So when white people talk about playing the race card, that is exactly what they did to chastise and punish and castigate one of their own. This was not about racial justice. This was not about white supremacy. This was not about discrimination in professional sports. This was about very well-organized and high-placed European Jews using the race card as a way to expose and remove one of them who refused to play by the rules. If Sterling was a part of the in-group, you would have never heard about that tape. In fact, the girlfriend who taped it, if she taped it, because there's no proof she did the taping, she may have lost her life. That's the way European Jews play. So this was not about some tape that got discovered and got leaked to the media because Jews run the media. This was about them taking this information and using it as a quote-unquote blackmail against him and removing him from the league for not doing what the hell they told him to do. Every once in a while, white supremacy does its own internal cleansing and its, earn, and its own internal policing to keep white folks in line with what the dominant program is. And that's exactly what happened with Sterling. This was not about racial justice. And also, I think it's important to note that the way in which it was handled and the delay in which the NBA took in pronouncing its decree as far as how they were going to deal with him, okay, was longer than what normally would happen had the same type of statements been made about members of the LBGD community or about Jews or white folks. Had he been a black owner saying things about white people, there would have been no week. They wouldn't have waited till another NBA game passed away. Okay, he would have been fired on the spot. Not only that, none of the players would have played. Coaches would have boycotted. It would have been a totally different reaction. But because it was us, you had Charles Barkley talking about maybe he should be suspended 
for one full year. You had another brother uh, who's one of the commentators, elder brother, former coach of the Jets, whose name is escaping me. He's on ESPN talking about how uh, what he did was wrong, you know, but at the same time, this is a business, and you don't have to like the person you play for, and the person who you play for has a right to be a racist, even though it's not right. And I've seen athlete after athlete after athlete making excuses, black athletes paving the way for this man to receive some sort of compassionate retribution from the black community. And then we had the president of that Los Angeles NAACP had the audacity to say that the NAACP stands in support of Sterling because he has done so much for black children in California, all types of scholarships and money he's given to NAACP and that they're willing to work with him and have a conversation with him. And most importantly, they said, which I thought was absolutely ridiculous to come out of the mouth of the president of the NAACP, they said, quote, we don't think his comments reflected his true feelings about black people. Now, I'm a psychologist, and one thing I know about the mind is it doesn't come out the mouth if it's not in the mind. More importantly, things that are said in a confidential setting, as did exist when Sterling made those comments to his girlfriend, things that we say in private are infinitely more true as it relates to what we really feel than things said in public because things said in public is often said to protect one's image, reputation, and ego. So for the NAACP to allude that this man's private conversations with his girlfriend that he did not know were being taped was not indicative of what he really thinks about black people because he gave out scholarships, I thought that was ridiculous. That's like saying John D. Rockefeller cares about black people because he built Spelman University and named Spelman University after his white wife. And even though family raised the money for the manufacturing of the HIV AIDS virus, okay, that and because this man is a population and was a population control junkie and helped to colonialize and neo-colonialize Africa, even though he made AIDS and did all this other stuff to African people, because he opened up a black college for black girls in Atlanta, that means that his uh, different actions against black people weren't really indicative of his true heart because, after all, he gave us a college. Do we not know that white military science is based upon confusing one's victim, confusing one's enemy? There's not a rich white racist on the face of the earth who has never given money to black people. All rich white racists have given money to black people. Donald Trump, Bill Gates, and the list goes on. Even George Bush has given money to black organizations in Texas. So that doesn't mean nothing. That's part of the strategy. In fact, the Rockefellers invented, the Rockefellers invented the 501c3 not-for-profit corporation. That is a Rockefeller invention created to do what? Finance the very people you are trying to exterminate. Finance the very people 
you are trying to exterminate because their researchers found that if you finance the victim, in other words, if you give them a more comfortable existence under oppression, you're not changing the oppression. You're simply giving, this, giving them a more comfortable existence under the oppression. If you do that, they will be less likely to fight back at your oppression and the leaders of those groups, the ones in whom hands you place your 501c3 money, the leaders will be more likely to control the criticism that you receive from the masses of the people. And forcing him to sell the team, that doesn't mean nothing. He's a rich white man. Selling the team to white people simply means what? Taking the business out of your name and putting it into someone else's name. White people do it all the time. They do it all the time. White people regularly take their homes yeah, and put it in the names. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. They put it in the names of who? They're elderly. Why? Because in many states, if the elderly die, being the owner of a the mortgage remaining, the balance remaining on that property can be written off. So are we to think that this was some type of victory for black people? I'll tell you what would have been a victory if the Clippers players said, we not playing. If they would have shut down the playoffs, do you know how much money the city of Los Angeles would have lost? The state of California would have lost? Do you know how much money ESPN, TNT, TBS, ABC? Do you know how much endorsements would have been lost just by them boycotting the rest of the playoffs? Even though the other games are going on, that would have thrown a serious wrench in the capitalistic machine of the white racist NBA. That would have been revolutionary. That's what should have happened. All of the black uh, NBA executives and coaches should have said, guess what, we're walking off the job until this man is gone. And even if the NBA would have fired him within a day, guess what? They would have still lost billions of dollars even if only one night of play, even if only one night of play was forfeited, they would have definitely felt that in their pocket. Remember, white folks are only bothered by three things, money, blood, and large numbers of organized people. Money, blood, and large numbers of organized people. And obviously with the black community being as disorganized as it was at the time this happened, we wasn't able to mobilize any serious type of reaction to what took place. We don't control any militia, so that only leaves hitting them in their pocket with the money. Them players and the athletes together, what if all the black athletes, retired and current, would have came together and said, guess what, we're not commentating, we're not speaking, we're not going to the games, we're not playing. That would have shook up the financial base of the NBA. That would have been financial revolution. But because they loved their job and because they loved the white man, none of them even thought that way. Also, you know, should the fans be let off the hook as well? Like, how do Not you think all. black fans will respond to their, quote-unquote, you know, their team not playing because they're looking at the totality of the whole spectrum of the playoffs, and they're like, you throwing the playoffs off. Like, what are you doing? 
You know? Exactly. Get back on that goddamn exactly. court and play this ball. We got money to, you know, we got wages on right. the game. Like, there's a right. rabbit They're more love loyal. For, They're more loyal. For sportsmen, yeah. Like, I never knew how rabid sports fans was until I came to L.A. This is a culture out here. And because the Clippers are not somewhat of the favorite home team, there's already sentiments in people's hearts about, you know, there's already a power dynamic and a struggle taking place because the Clippers, Clippers have eclipsed the Lakers. So for monetary purposes, I can see why they would want to get this dude out of that position and wrestle the team from him. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of the, the a lot of the, the power, especially, you know, downtown is centered around that stadium and that stadium is centered around these ball clubs. You know? Yes, sir. So I, yes, I think sir. that um yeah, you know, that, that, that that's a very suspect way that this news has, has made it into the uh into the mainstream. But um but also, I think that it has exposed it has it has exposed you know, where are people's consciousness at in terms of what they're willing to fight for versus what they're not. And what they're not willing to fight for is anything that disrupts the entertainment. Our people are thoroughly into entertainment by any and all means, you know. Yes, indeed. And I would add, I would add to that, that this is not without international implications. And what I mean to say by this, the NBA, And remember now, the commissioner of the NBA and the board of directors of the NBA, most of those white men sit at the table of the Bilderberger and the CFR. Remember, the NBA is a multinational corporation. It is not really a sport. It's a business. And the outcomes are normally manipulated because it's all about profit, which is why you rarely see two teams that are not popular ever make it to the NBA Finals because it's not about you being a good basketball team. It's about which teams are going to make the most money for us. And that's why a couple of years ago, if you remember, there was the NBA referee scandal. And the major referee in that scandal came out of Philadelphia. He came right from here, South Philadelphia, and he went on record and said, we have been throwing games in playoffs and championships for decades. And he said not only the NBA, the NFL, okay, hockey, baseball, many of these sports are controlled by the referees. He said that we are told, we are told to make sure certain teams win and certain teams lose by blowing the whistle. And it's almost impossible to overcome the referee fixing of a game unless you're beating the most popular team by 20 points. So if the Washington Wizards are playing the Miami Heat, they better be up by 20 points if they expect to win. And how likely are you to be up 20 on a team that's really good? So the whole thing is fixed. But let me go back to my point. This is not without its international implications because this is, in recent times, one of the first examples of a major white global multinational corporation expelling allegedly, and I'm talking about what it looks like because we know behind the scenes is totally different. So I'm dealing with the propaganda. So when I describe this, I'm describing the propaganda, not the fact. The propaganda dictates that a major multinational corporation, a multi-billion, possibly trillion-dollar economy of the NBA, 
is expelling a rich white property-owning Jew from its corporation for life for saying negative comments about black people. That is going to resonate with a lot of politically uneducated Africans and other non-white people around the world. It's going to make Africans in Africa think that the United States culture is changing the same as it did with Obama. This is designed to have the same effect that the Obama election had, which is to make non-white people outside of America and in America, for that matter, Africans as well as non-African, non-white people think that this is indicative of American culture and society being one of a post-racial generation or system. Now, why is it important that they project this image of post-racialism at this point? Number one, President Obama is on his way out of the White House. Mm-hmm. And, and it's going to be a white person coming back into the White House. And a lot of people have been able to see that President Obama's presidency really wasn't post-racial at all. They see that now. AFRICOM, Trayvon Martin, people see that him being in there hasn't meant much. So the government being forewarned and forearmed and forprepared about what's going to happen after Obama leaves, they want to start doing some things that give the illusion of inclusion to put black people back to sleep, put Africa back to sleep, and put brown and yellow people who are not Africans around the world back to sleep. But let me give a warning, and I want the listeners to remember that you heard it from Dr. Umar Johnson first. This is very Machiavellian what they're doing. It's bigger than just the Jews putting Sterling in his place for disobeying their orders. It's bigger than America projecting a post-racial reputation at the end of the Obama years. You know what this is really about? This is really about giving a false example of racial justice. So when we start throwing NBA athletes, NFL athletes, and other black professionals out of their jobs, for speaking out against homosexuality. Yep. Nobody yep. will be able to say anything, anything. because we yep. threw Donald Sterling out for making jokes against black people. So when we catch black people when we start catching black people in positions of power and we start getting rid of your people, when we yep. put the shoe on the other foot, and tell Michael yep. Jordan, not that he's loyal to us, but tell Michael Jordan that you have to give up ownership of the Charlotte Bobcat because somebody said five or ten years ago when you were still an athlete, you said some disparaging comments against gay people. Or if you have a gay football player in the locker room with you, if you say something disparaging about that gay football player, you're going to be kicked out of the league for life. My conclusion on this Donner Sterling case, based on all of my study of white supremacy, because I am a student of white supremacy as much as I am a student of revolutionary pan-African nationalism. This was not done for Sterling. Sterling was the sacrificial lamb so they could pave the way 
to remove all types of rich black people from positions of prominence was speaking out against the L. Can I add on? Yes, sir. It's very interesting that a Jewish publication began their propaganda campaign approximately two weeks ago. Um, And it's also very interesting that the picture that they chose to um, utilize was one where the brother was at an NBA game. If everybody pays attention to what they're doing, remember that they had a big issue about Jay-Z wearing the 5 percent chain at a Nets game. Yes, sir. Okay? I remember that. And in that, in that it was a front-page story in the New York Post. It gained um, traction through all of the online publications, and, um, you know, it got picked up by all kind of news media. What they were saying was he was promoting, it promoted what? Hatred almost similar to what they're accusing Donald Sterling of doing on his side. Yes, what they say is the group that he represented was the 5%er nation. They actually went and played dumb. They actually went ahead and, they, you know, they threw a rock and hit their hand, acting as if nobody, you know, because we have to remember the generation that's even writing the stories at the post are of the hip-hop generation, which means that they all came up in the era of Wu-Tang, um, Eric B. and Rakim, that whole right. golden era of hip hop, they are fully hip hop conscious. They, they are, yeah, they are fully aware of who the five percenters are. They saw that chain before. They saw that symbol. They saw the logo. They know that the black man is God and the white man is devil ideology. It's something that has been banged in the heads of. Because if that was the case, they wouldn't be celebrating Nas with his twentieth anniversary of Illmatic. They wouldn't. Brizzle wouldn't be working. Like, come on now. So. They began the campaign, the propaganda campaign with Jay Z, with the whole, and it was, it was, some, it was. I mean, when you look at it, it, it was, you, you could tell that there was something going on with that. Yes, sir. So now, yes, when they go ahead and remove Sterling for the remarks that he made, but then you have this man who's in the, he's, he was, he used to be a one percent owner, but now he's in the sports agency league, and they're actually putting a form of pressure on, you know, they're, they're raising issues as, like, why are the NCAA players not paid? You know, you need to pay them. He said it in a freestyle the other day. Then he also did a freestyle with Jay Electronica, who is student of Farrakhan, student of the Moors, you know, all in the music, there's, there's all kind of consciousness, and then Jay's in the freestyle that the brother did, you know, all, you know, outside of what, we know, what he's known for, there was some consciousness in that verse. Talk about chasing Yaku back in the slate and into the cave and some other things, calling himself the black god and some other stuff. So they're beginning to make moves, okay, like the brother Umar just said, against any players or anybody that's basically receiving, you know, anyone who's contracted under them, you know, any one of their slaves, that if you decide that you want to be, you know, if you want to have any kind of black pride, if you want to, if you want to, basically, if you want to resonate with that consciousness that's on the rise, we got something for you, bro. We're going to pull the plug on you. And like you said, now I see it clearly. I'm glad that you said what you said because, yes, he was a lackey. When you listen to the tape, just pay attention to the tape, family. That 
you know, he's talking smack to his he he's talking smack to his bed witch. So true. So very he's true. He's talking smack to his bed witch. Many sisters that are out there were white men, especially men of, of they have white they have um prominence in terms of monetary dominance over them. They say that all of the time. I'm glad that they caught this crack on tape. Because this is the stuff that these sisters listen to with pillow talk and they swallow it. Mm. Them niggas ain't shit. They dogs. You know what I mean? That's why you with Indeed. me. That's why Indeed. you with me. They monkeys out there. Tell them niggas to pull up their pants. Get off Instagram following those. Come over right. here and give daddy some. You've been in L.A. Blue. You see it. I'm in New York. I was in Miami. You know? I couldn't even go back to South Beach. Oh nah, it's a it's a um <laughs> it's a job description out here. <laughs> yes, sir. And, you know, some yes, people sir. might get touchy, but what you consider, you know, the upper echelon of 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 evenness in Los Angeles are sisters that have retained themselves for the highest bidders. And I'm sorry, you know, but you could come out here and you can observe it for what it is, and you can tell me something different if you know different. I've had conversation yeah. with these women who have had high-level intellectual conversations with me based on, you know, why they're into scandal and why it speaks to their reality and what, how and what it is that they identify with, okay? Right. So their whole thing is that they're power-tripping, point-blank, period. They don't see race. You know what I'm saying? They, they want somebody that is in that position, and that's who they want to be next to, regardless of who he is or what he looks like. And they're willing to do whatever it is necessary for them to remain in that position because the only thing that separates them from a paid prostitute is that, you know, they get to, they they got more perks. You know what I'm saying? Their their stay is a little bit more extended until that contract is terminated. and 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 then they're passed around to the next executive that comes through. And that's just case in point. That takes place out here. Yeah. And case you know? in point, case in point, if that was not the case, then we would not ha- we would not we would not be able to pull up the Nielsen report every single week and read off the numbers that Scandal is doing. Monster numbers. Okay. That's from, the pillow uh, talk that goes on with Olivia Pope. And that dude, the president that she's sleeping with, that's what he's saying to her family. So stop acting surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if they were on a Hollywood set, you know, sipping on Starbucks, just talking crazy while they was recording. This is, it sounds like a farce. You know, TMZ reported it. But, yes, Dr. Umar, I think that this, as you said, it's just one part of something that has bigger implications. And you touched on it earlier when you were talking about preparation for the nation's mentality as it pertains to the changing of the guards, which, you know, which upon us very soon. I think that, as you have said, there's been a very dangerous dynamic that took place in the country where one segment of society was low to sleep or make it feel a certain way, Right some type of way, right? Black folks feel some type of way. You know, they feel Obama, they feel some type of way. You know, this is a crowning achievement. Folks are still 
geeking off of that high from 2008. While another segment of society are arming themselves to the teeth. I'm talking about lock, stock, and barrel, you know, doubling up. You feel me? Where, where, where Granny got <laughs> Granny got copper tops in her fanny pack, you know what I'm saying? And then nine milli ankle gaps and all types of sickness. Like, it's really going down in terms of how these militias and everybody else is arming themselves. And I also think it's an interesting dynamic that <clears throat> nobody married you know, the conversation or the comments made by Bundy up at, up at that ranch in Nevada, and then you get Sterling a few days later. You know what I'm saying? All of this happened in relative close proximity to one another here on the West Coast. So can you speak on some things dealing with this presidency? Because a lot of our family are still on the illusion. They're still tripping off the, the endorphins. They're still high. You know, they haven't come off that high yet, you know? Right. While that head was in the clouds, can you please tell them what was taking place on planet Earth? Certainly, certainly. And just to reiterate that this whole thing with Sterling was about to, you know, set the context so that when they start coming at black people, because they know that the homosexual agenda isn't popular in our community. They know that. And so by punishing Sterling, that gives them the freedom to go after black people for speaking out against LBGT. In other words, they have this hierarchy of discrimination where they say that whites discriminate against blacks and blacks discriminate against gays. So if we punish a white for discriminating against a black, then we have to punish the black for discriminating against the homosexuals. They use Sterling as the sacrificial political lamb, although in reality it won't be anything like that. But the propaganda is that we're punishing him for racism. It doesn't even make sense. A rich, white, powerful Jew was aired out by Jews on their network and is going to be punished, banned from the league forever. Bullshit. This is being done to let black folks know, because we took care of a Jew for y'all, when we start taking care of y'all taking care of black folks for the homosexuals, we don't want to hear shit. So we better get ready to boogie because in the next couple of years, you're going to see all types of black folks be brought up on charges of discriminating against homosexuals and lesbians. It is coming. And also discriminating against white folks, discriminating against Latinos and other non-white people. It is coming. They have created the context to now punish black people for racism. That's what's coming. Now, President Obama, while everybody was drinking the Obama juice, he has recolonized the continent of Africa. AFRICOM is all throughout Africa. He has also given the LBGT community more rights in four years than black people have gotten in 400 years. He has totally made the homosexual agenda the priority. The minority priority is homosexuality. The minority priority is homosexuality. By doing that, Phil, what Obama did was he eclipsed the black agenda with the homosexual agenda. And I need to make sure that listeners understand this. He didn't just make it more important than it was. He made being homosexual and Latino the only, not the major, not the major, but he made being homosexual and Latino the only important 
minority groups in this country, period, is what Obama did. And this is interesting why. And this is interesting why. It's interesting because July 2nd of 2014, this summer, we will be celebrating 50 years of the signing of the 1964 Civil Rights Bill. 50 years. Isn't it interesting that the president, the reigning president, during the 50-year celebration of a law that was supposed to help black people, the reigning president was responsible for removing the black civil rights agenda and replacing it with the homosexual, lesbian, and Latino agenda. And as we went over in Los Angeles, and I want to give a shout-out to all my brothers and sisters who showed up in Los Angeles uh, this past Sunday night for a jam-packed program. A.A. Rashid came through. Saber Bay came through. New Black Panther Party, as always, provided security for the Prince of Pan-Africanism. I want to thank you all because I enjoyed myself. First time being in L.A. in normally a year back at Blessed Love. But as I articulated yeah. Mama Pill in my was in the building, too. Oh, yes, sir. The Pill was in the building. Pill's mom was <laughs> in the Mama building. Mama Pill, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mama, Mama Pill, Pill Mama Pill, that's right. Mama Pill was in the building. Yeah. We Show love my Shout out. The beautiful afro. You know, it was just a wonderful night. And one yes, of the things that I want your listening audience to understand, as I articulated in that presentation, brothers and sisters, the Civil Rights Bill was supposed to be about black people. The Civil Rights non-white people. Let me say this again. The Civil Rights Bill was supposed to be about us. It was not supposed to be about all non-white people. But the language of the final Civil Rights Bill got manipulated in the 11th hour of its passing because after John F. Kennedy was assassinated, Lyndon Baines Johnson became the president who was even least or even least interested in civil rights than JFK was. And so he compromised with the Republicans to the extent necessary to make sure the bill passed. And two things that the Republicans demanded of Lyndon Baines Johnson was that you add, you add the word sex into the civil rights bill and you change black to minority. And so when you read the Civil Rights Bill, you will see Negro or black, but you also see minority primarily, and you see gender, which includes women of any race, including white women, as well as lesbians, gays, uh, bisexuals, and transvestites and transgendered people. So we have to understand that the Civil Rights Bill was not a victory for us. It was a victory for homosexuals, white women, and all non-white people except black people. So a bill that was for Africans ultimately excluded them. This is left out of the history books. This bill that's going to be celebrated this summer by the NAACP, the Urban League, President Obama already had his ceremony, this bill that was supposed to eliminate discrimination against black people actually created more discrimination against black people 
because instead of just worrying about racism from white men, you now had to worry about racism or discrimination, preferential treatment of white women and preferential treatment of gays and lesbians. This is the civil rights bill that we're going to be celebrating. And it's important for people to understand that Obama is fulfilling a mission that in all reality was started in 64 with the civil rights bill, and that is replacing the black agenda with the gay agenda and the white woman's agenda. What were Obama's two primary pieces of minority legislation? One was turning homosexuality into a full-fledged civil right, and two, raising the pay of white women so they can make as much money as white men. The Equal Pay Act is what Obama's pushing through Congress now. The Equal Pay Act to make sure white women get as much money as white men. How in the hell can you be fighting for equal pay for women when you got black men, you trying to give white women equal pay, and black men can't get no pay at all? So how is it you can fight for white women to get better paycheck money, but you can't even fight for a black man to get a damn job? This is what's happening. They're creating a situation where black issues, the black agenda, Black struggle means nothing in this country. And they punished Sterling to let all the blacks know we're going to start punishing y'all for speaking out against homosexuality. Two days ago, an article came out about me. It was came out of London, reactionary homosexual Negro, uh, misrepresented Dr. Umar's words and positioning on homosexuality said that I said black boys in single-parented female homes are the cause of homosexuality. So it is single black mothers that are turning the boys gay. I never said that. But this is what the title of the article is, and this is what he reiterates throughout the article with almost no quote from me and with a clip of a video I'd done years ago taken out of context the statements that I made. Now, the question becomes, Bill, why is an old Umar Johnson lecture being edited in a new article misrepresenting his position, saying that he's blaming black mothers for homosexuality? This is being done for a couple of reasons. Number one, they're aware that I have a tremendous amount of support from the global African community, not just America, but around the world. And one of the best ways to try to stop the rise of Dr. Umar Johnson and his work is by getting the very same people he's helping, single black moms, to fight back against them. Classic tactic of white supremacy. Number two, everyone knows that I'm in a pretty good position to possibly be given the opportunity to raise the money to purchase a historically black college a decision of which we will know about in the next two weeks. By May 1st, we should know. So here's Dr. Umar trying to build a school for black children. We have to find a way to do what? Destabilize and sabotage that by using the gay issue as our weapon. In other words, they're trying to start a civil war in the black community over homosexuality. So how should the black community respond? We should respond simply by saying what? The issue 
of homosexuality is going to be dealt with as an intra-community issue. That is to say that if the homosexuals and lesbians want to have a conversation with us, if they want to have a debate with us, we will do it behind closed doors. We are not going to do it in an arena that is provided by white supremacy because they are only providing an arena so they can manipulate both parties against each other as the white women did with the feminist movement by manipulating black women into fighting against black men. We are not going to fall for that same propaganda. So one of the things that I've been doing is I've been making it clear to everybody that my position on homosexuality will not change. It is what it is, but I am not going to give a lot of attention to it in public venues because Dr. Umar's primary fight and the juvenile incarceration of black boys in this world because they are being exterminated in record numbers. Worse than the Holocaust, almost as bad as European slavery of African people. That is my priority. Now, there's others whose priority is the gay issue. It's not a priority. It is important. It is serious. I deal with it. I regularly state my position. But I have to be careful about taking time away from my fight for black boys and giving it to the gay issue because that's exactly what the power structure wants me to do. Every time Dr. Umar stops his work for black boys, when I take energy away from buying this college and put it on defending my position against homosexuality, I'm giving them the upper hand because what am I doing? I'm doing exactly what the white man has done, tension away from the black agenda and put it on the homosexual agenda. I am not going to take attention away from the black male agenda and put it on the homosexual agenda. And I want the conscious community to stop falling for the same technology. Too many of us, as soon as we see somebody else is attacking Dr. Umar Johnson on homeless, we run to it. I need y'all to stop giving it that energy. You see it, and you say, look, this is his position. He has a right to it. You don't have to agree with it. White people have a right to do whatever the hell they want. I believe in self-determination. So I don't believe in telling white people how to run their family and their community. If they want to make homosexuality legal, that's their damn business. I'm not white. I don't belong to that community, but I'm African, and I belong to this community, and I see that that can never be put on the people. And selling that type of lifestyle to African children is totally, totally inhumane and trifling. But guess what? My opinion and my position position are for my community. So it's no need for me to have a conversation with white people about homosexuality, because all family is culturally regulated. Family and marriage is a culturally regulated institution. White people have a right to regulate it as they want. African people have a right to regulate it as they want. And because we come from two opposing cultures, you're not going to project your views on me, and I have no right to project my views on them, so there's no need for us to even sit at the table together. We don't have a damn thing to talk about. You are not interested in my community, and I'm not interested in yours. So whatever I think about homosexuality is none of your business, and whatever you think about homosexuality is none of mine. That's how I'm moving forward 
in the 21st century with this homosexual piece. I need the conscious community to stop giving it so much attention when it deals with me, okay, because everybody knows what my primary goal is for our youth because if we are able to do that, we eliminate the homosexuality because we're going to properly educate the children. We're going to properly socialize the children. We're going to properly indoctrinate the children. We're going to properly Africanize the children. We're going to properly spiritualize the children. So guess what? We won't have to worry about sexual confusion no more if we just do what we're supposed to do. So by me staying focused on what I'm doing, that will provide the cure for it by giving our children a proper raising by proper black men and proper black women that they need. So stop taking focus off of the work of getting this college and putting it on its reactionary homosexual agenda. That's exactly what they want us to do. If we create the atmosphere for our babies, we will not have to worry about them falling prey to homosexuality. Having said that, let me say this. For those who haven't already heard, Dr. Umar Johnson has been put in a position where I might be able to purchase a historically black college. Yes, an HBCU, it's up for sale. I've been in communication with the president of the university. I've been in communication with the realty company that's represents the university. I have an appointment to meet with them face-to-face. I told them that I did not have the money up front to buy the school, but I need this school for our African boys. They said, well, have your lawyer, contact our lawyer, present us with a purchase agreement. We did just that. And so I'm going to meet with them face-to-face in a few days to see exactly whether or not they're going to allow me the opportunity of a few months' time to raise an X amount of dollars. We will have an HBCU that was built built by a colleague of Booker T. Washington, a brother who was a former slave, former enslaved African, bought this college. We cannot let that property fall into European hands. Our children need it. We need it. They have all the facilities that we need. They have the lecture halls. They have the -the state-of-the-art student center. They have the football field. They have the dormitory, brothers and sisters. They have agrable land where we can plant crops and teach our children how to make food raw and vegan style. Brothers and sisters, if we can get this campus, this moves up Dr. Umar Johnson's timeline as far as opening up the doors to the Frederick Douglass and Marcus Garvey RBG International Leadership Academy. Y'all know my position. Home schools are good, but they're not solutions. Solutions are academies and be socialized together, not 20 at a time and 40 at a time, but 500, 1,000 at a time to make sure we are raising the army that our people are going to need to bring about that global African resurrection and reconstruction of our people. So that's what we're looking at. That's what I've been focused on. And if I'm lucky enough to be able to raise this money, brothers and sisters, I'm going to need you all to get behind me. My new website will be out shortly. Hopefully I will have the link on the website by May 1st when it comes out so you all can start donating. I'm going to need you all to donate hundreds, okay? If all you can give is a 20 or 50, so be it. But I need you all to sacrifice. Black women, you all be spending hundreds of dollars on your hair. You better give me more than what you give the Koreans. Black man, you be spending hundreds of dollars on your sneakers and on your clothes. You better give me more than what you give to the Korean. 
I'm going to need y'all to sacrifice. I'm going to need black churches, black mosques, black organizations, fraternities, sororities, community-based organizations. I'm going to need everybody to get behind Dr. Umar Johnson. We have an opportunity to purchase an HBCU built by an ancestor for the housing our institution. Dr. Umar. Yes, sir. You know how these institutions go these days and you know the games that's being played. What if they come to you with a $100,000 check and they're like, this money's here for you, but your institution needs to be inclusive of uh, of gay children? Okay. Let me do the science on that. Firstly, I'm not taking no money from no aliens. So that's, that's not even a conversation I need to have with them. Okay, as a Garveyite, and of course we're celebrating 100 years of Garveyism this year, I will be in New York on in Friday, August the 15th and 16th, celebrating 100 years of Garveyism. We believe in self-reliance, the movement that birthed every other movement, okay? We believe in African self-determination. So it's not even a need for me to have a conversation about taking money from non-Africans. It's not in my blood to do that. Uh, But let's deal with the second issue that you raised, and that is about homosexual children. Because President Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I'm not talking about (laughs) non-Africans. No, I got you. I'm not talking about non-Africans. Right. Yes. But what I thought you were saying, let me deal with this piece, because even if you weren't, Referring to this, I think it needs to be said because I do get the question, and that is what happens when a homosexual child applies to come to your school, the parents? Well, statements on that. Number one, because President Obama made homosexuality a civil right, even though my school will be private, it will be an independent institution, okay, you still do not have the legal right to exclude okay, based on sexual orientation. So legally, I cannot say that homosexual children cannot come to my school. Legally, I cannot say that a white child couldn't apply to come to the school because you're not allowed to discriminate based on race in educational systems. Chances of a white parent wanting a white child subject to the type of education we're going to be giving to our children, a totally African-centered, politically, military-based institution, I don't see that happening. But I do see parents of homosexual children applying for them to come to my school. So what am I going to do? I don't have a problem letting them in. And why don't I have a problem letting them in? Because most of them are not homosexual anyway. They have been brainwashed. They have been propagated. They have been led to believe that they like people of the same gender when a lot of them aren't even old enough to know what the hell sexual attraction is. You got, I got children in my schools in the third grade talking about they gay, fourth grade talking about they gay. A lot of our children get bullied into sexual confusion. A lot of our children join sexually confused gangs because they want to be a part of something they consider to get respect. So we got to understand a lot of these kids to their mind, not their heart, but into their mind, and it's what they're doing in order to succeed in school by being a part of the in-group that nobody messes with. 
because it's common knowledge across this country that the gay and lesbian gangs in America's high schools are pretty much running a whole damn show right now. So these kids ain't gay. They just need to be brought back into the proper knowledge of who they are. I'm, who they are. I'm not afraid of no gay black child because they ass ain't gay anyway. They simply been led to believe that they were. By the time that so-called homosexual boy gets done at my school, to be the most masculine, black male, loving being you'll find. And by the time that so-called lesbian girl leaves my school, she will be the most feminine, the most beautiful, and the most powerfully African manifesting feminine energy that you will ever see. So I'm not concerned about a gay child slipping through the ranks because by the time I'm done with them, by the time I'm done with them, the word gay and lesbian will be things that never cross their mind again. So I'm not afraid of, of, of so-called gay black children. All of them are going to get a new African reawakening. No problem with me on that issue. No doubt, brother. The other thing, if I could real quick, Bill, let me throw out the email address. Of course you can. For anyone listening, to the sh- anyone listening to the show who's interested in working at the Frederick Douglass and Marcus Garvey, RBG International Leadership Academy, send me your resumes now. Do it while you're on the show. Do it right after the show, brothers and sisters, because I think we're going to get this college. In fact, I know we're going to get this college, and I know we're going to get the money that we need. So I'm looking for uh, people to send me their resumes. I've already gotten about 100. I need more. I need as many as possible because I need the best history teacher. I need the best natural hair care instructors. I need the best agriculturalist. So send your resume, brother or sister, to fdmgresumes at gmail.com. FDMG, that's the acronym for Fred Douglas Marcus Garvey. FDMGresumes, R-E-S-U-M-E-S, at gmail.com. Make sure your resume has a cover letter that basically tells Dr. Umar a little bit about who you are and why you think our children could benefit from you yes, being a part please, of the yes. SDMG family. Please send that out. F- SDMG resume Frederick at gmail.com. Marcus Garvey, FDMG resume? With an F, F on as it, resumes. Resumes. F yes. as in frog, B as in dog, M as in man. G as in grand. Yes, you got it. You got it. You got it. Resumes with the S family, gmail.com, okay? Post into the chat, and I'm sure that the brother will have a link available. Is this information on your Facebook? Is it on your, your group page at all? I will put it up there. I'll put it up there periodically, but I'm going to tell you what else they can do to make sure they get this information is I need everyone uh, to take out their cell phone, and I want you to text Dr. Umar to 36000 so you can join my text club, VIP text club. It doesn't cost you any money. There will be no extra charges on your cell phone bill. So you're going to text D-R-U-M-A-R, six letters, no period, no space between them, D R. U-M-A-R. You're going to text those six letters to 36,000, 36,000, okay? So 
So the recipient is 36000, and the message is D-R-U-M-A-R. Text Dr. Umar to 36000. You will automatically be added to my new VIP text club free of charge, and you will get all the updates. And what I will do after today's show is I will send out a VIP text message to the club number uh, with the email address for the resumes. Please keep in mind that we're looking for more than just teachers. This is going to be a residential school. We need house parents to live in the dorm. We need some sisters to live with the young ladies, and we need some brothers to live with the young men. We're going to have a raw and vegan food curriculum. If you're good at that, then send me your resume. We're going to have farming. We're going to have a driver's ed class. We're going to have an aeronautical program. We're going to have an astrology program, okay? We're going to have military science, political science. We're going to have financial science. I'm looking for Africans who know the stock market, who know investment banking, in and out. I'm looking for them because I need you to be a part of the school to teach our children the secret sciences of high finance. The school that I'm building does not exist, has never existed, and so I'm going to put it into existence. So, brothers and sisters, this is the real deal. We need security. We need janitors. We need engineers, secretaries, nurses, counselors. Everything you can think of, we will need. So you don't necessarily have to be a certified teacher, a licensed teacher. You might want to be a secretary, okay? You might want to be on security. You might want to be part of the raw and vegan food program. We're going to teach our children how to make clothes. Our great master teacher, Dr. John Henry Clark, a Pan-African nationalist like myself, and an elder, now he's an ancestor, said what? That if people can't make their own underwear aren't worthy of running a nation. So the first thing our children are going to make at FDMG is RBG underwear. That's right. The boys are going to make a pair of RBG boxers, and the young ladies are going to make their first pair of RBG lady boxers. They will be wearing their own underwear, and then they'll be taught how to make their own clothing. They're going to make their own school uniforms. This is going to be one heaven of an experience for our children. In fact, I call it heaven on earth, and it's coming soon. I have an emergency meeting Saturday, Norfolk, Virginia, the seven cities. We're going to be having a Teen Pan-African emergency meeting. If you're down in the Norfolk, Virginia area, the seven cities area, make sure you come. Tidewater Park Elementary School, 1045 Brambleton Ave from 1 o'clock until 6 o'clock this Saturday. 1 to 6, Tidewater Park Elementary School, and then we're going to have an afterflow at the Truth and Knowledge Bookstore from 8 o'clock to 1 o'clock, and at that time, I'm hoping to have the information or the final decision on whether or not we'll be allowed to raise this money, brothers and sisters, but I think it's going to come. It's our time, 100 years of Garveyism, 50 years of civil rights, 60 years of the Brown versus Board of Education decision, and next year, 150 years since the 13th Amendment. It's going down. I'm putting the whole race on my back and be marching forward. The time for talking is over. It's all about nation building. We got all the intellectuals. We got the ideologies. We got the, you know, the teachers and the scholars. But where are the nation builders? Where are the revolutionaries? And where are the activists? 
Everybody can't be a teacher. Everybody can't be a scholar. Everybody can't be an intellectual. Everybody can't be a and philosopher. everybody can't be a student. Where are right. the revolutionaries? Where are the nation builders? And where are the activists? All right. Indeed. Can you give the text number one more time, Brother Umar? Yes, please. sir. Sure, sure. Uh, the text, you're going to text six letters, D-R-U-M-A-R. Please get this right, black family. Keep it all lowercase or keep it all high case, either or. The third option is you want the D to be uppercase and the U to be uppercase. So the first letter of each word, but the words will be as one, no separation. So capital D, lowercase r, capital U, lowercase m, lowercase a, lowercase r. Dr. Umar, just like if you were spelling it, but you're going to get rid of the period, you're going to get rid of the space between the two words, put them together, so it'll be Drewmar with a capital D and a capital U, and you're going to text that 36,000. Now, depending on your phone carrier, you might not have to do capital D, capital U. Most people can just put D-R-U-M-A-R, all lowercase or all uppercase, and it goes right through. But some people are with some strange companies, and they got strange plans where you've got to capitalize the D and capitalize the U, right. but you shouldn't have to do that. Now, if you had an opportunity, yes, who would be your, um, what's the word for that? Who would be your fantasy, your fantasy staff? If you can staff your school with some of my wow. premier teachers out here, you know, who would you call upon to head these particular departments? You know what I'm saying? Like people say, man, well, I, I wish that I was alive to be in school with Dr. Ben and Clark or what have you. Who are you looking right. at that you feel would, would pretty much fit that role, you know, and um, complement what it is that you're bringing forth for the family? Well, I mean, for me, you know, most of my heroes are deceased, you know, but if I had to have a dream team, you know what I mean? And obviously I would like to have Dr. George Washington Carver on staff. I would like to have Dr. Amos Wilson on staff. I would like to have Dr. Clark on staff. You know, uh, of course, the Honorable Frederick Douglass and the Honorable Marcus Garvey on staff teaching leadership and political science. You know, so a lot of my heroes are deceased. Those who, if I could choose from anyone to bring on the staff, they most of them will be gone now. You know, I would have Harriet Tubman, you know, leading the whole military science curriculum, you know, if I had it my way. You know, Shaka Zulu, Minilik teaching guerrilla warfare, you know, if I had it my way. You know, I have Huey T. Newton, you know, and also I would have uh, Fred Hampton teaching organization and leadership of the youth in the neighborhood. You know, so so many of those who I would like to have are deceased. Now, in terms of the living, I wouldn't want to give those names out, and the reason is some of them I will be approaching to have them participate in the school either on the curricular design level or actually as a physical instructor. Um, and then also, I'm one of those people who look to tap into unused African talent. And, you know, we have so many great brothers and sisters who do so much tremendous work 
in a conscious community, but we have so many more brothers and sisters who don't, they're not well known like Dr. Umar Johnson, you know, but are just as intelligent and have just as much to offer, you know. And so for me, I'm really going to be looking at those no-name uh, brothers and sisters, people who don't have those national or regional or local reputations to really be a part of my school, you know, because I'm going to be honest, just like Booker T. Washington before me, this is my school, you know, and it's a pan-African nationalist school. So you're not going to be able to ideologies that I don't ascribe to except in its proper place. So, for example, in our ideological and philosophical studies, okay, black philosophy course, our students will learn about the nation of Islam and all its greatness. They will learn about the Nawapian movement and all its greatness, the gods and earths and all its greatness, the black Hebrews and all its greatness, and we're going to look to have members of those nations come and present to the children. So I don't want my children being denied knowledge, a comprehensive knowledge of all black philosophy. I want them to know them all. And a lot of people don't want their children knowing about no philosophy except what they ascribe to. I'm not into that. I want them to know about everything because I know at the end of the day, they're coming back to pan-African nationalism because it was Garveyism that influenced all of those other ones anyway. So for me, I'm not insecure about that. So we're going to have all the ideologies there. They will know them. They will know them well, okay? And then they're going to be taught how to understand those ideologies with the ones that they will represent at my academy, which is none other than the great gospel of Garveyism. So, you know, we're going to have all those folks there. But I'm saying all that to say, you know, that, I'm the law, and it's going to be done my way. And so some people, they got their own mind made up on how things should be. You can't bring that to my school. So you're going to have to be humble enough to respect the curriculum framework, the pedagogy, the instructional plan, and the operating procedure as it's set up. You know, I'm not bringing people in to send them right back out. And I know that some people, the ego too big, they won't be able to fall in line with what I'm doing. And that's why I'm looking for a lot of folks who like, look, Doc, I'm down with it. I'm sharp. Give me an opportunity to show you what I can do. That's what Booker T. Washington did. That's what most of our great forefathers did when they opened up these HBCUs. And that's what I'm looking to do, too. I'm not one of those people who feel you got to have all the big names, okay, because all that's reputation. That ain't necessarily fact. It's just reputation. So I'm looking for folks who are good. And if you got a big name and you want to work at the school, I would love to have that. I ain't got no problem with that. But I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not razzled and dazzled by names, brother. I'm razzled and dazzled by people who are qualified and competent to do the work. That's what's important to me. So I'm really looking forward to this. It's my dream. Uh, you know, as I always t- teach, you know, information is good. Institutions are better. And now it's time to bring forth this institution. And I think that I'm the one in this day and time who has been chosen for this work. And I do not plan to let my ancestors down. We're going to make this happen. We're going to make this happen. Brother, I hear the determination in your voice. I know that you are, you know, one of those ones that when you set out to do something, it gets done. You have an unprecedented track record in regards to your travels around this country. You have touched many places and seen many faces that many of us, um, you know, we, we, we haven't done these things. We haven't been 
these many places and in these many corridors of the corners and the intersections that, you know, comprise the continental United States and abroad because you've traveled. You've went places and you've packed rooms in countries in which we didn't know that melanated populations even existed. So, brother, as someone who has a very unique vision in regards to our commonality, you know, home and abroad, and as well as the conflicting things that you may have witnessed in your travels, can you speak to who we are as a people at home and abroad? You know, what are our commonalities? Yes, sir. You know, what are the things that we need to focus on and fix? What can Excellent. be repealed in this particular generation in terms of degenerative behavior? What can we put our focus on and catch before it totally is out of our control? And what are the most beautiful things about our people that you see, almost like a hundred monkey theory type of situation, you know, what are people mm-hmm. doing the same everywhere that you go? And let me say this right before I answer that. I want to make sure I don't forget to invite the entire listening audience of Know the Ledge to Dr. Umar's first annual psycho-spiritual re-Africanization tour, which will be with myself and our grandmaster teacher, Professor James Smalls. We will be going to Ghana to celebrate Ghanaian independence. We will be there at the celebration, the national celebration of Ghanaian independence when Garveyite, Kwame, and Krumah finally cut the umbilical cord that bound the Gold Coast to the conquerors of London and Europe. So we will be leaving on July 22nd. We will be returning on August the 3rd, approximately two weeks. We will be there, brothers and sisters, and you are going to have one heaven of a time we will be going to the El Mina Slave Dungeon, Cape Coast Slave Dungeon. We will go into Kamasi. We will be taking a boat ride on the longest, the longest man-made river in the world, the River Volta. We will also be going to the W.E.B. Du Bois Center. Dr. Umar will be giving a lecture at the Kwame Nkrumah University. There will be a teen pan-African meeting of the minds where brothers and sisters, the West, those of us here in the States, will get an opportunity to sit down in dialogue debate and build relationships with our Pan-African brothers and sisters in Ghana. It is going to be powerful. we got brothers and sisters who will be coming from London, brothers and sisters coming from all over Europe. We will have a separate flight coming down into Africa from London. So anybody listening to this show who does not live in America, you got to decide, can you come to New York City or can you get to London? Because there will be two flights. We'll be spending the first day in Casablanca, Morocco, We will be going up to the spiritual villages. There will be African naming ceremonies, opportunities to get a spiritual reading, go on the beach, shop, dance, eat, have fun. It's going to be vacation. It's going to be scholarship. It's going to be spiritual. Sisters can get their hair done. You also got to bring an all-white outfit, Baba Small said, because we're going to be doing some spiritual rituals to pay respects to our ancestors. It's just going to be a tremendous time. Workshops on dual citizenship, workshops on doing business in Africa, workshops on land acquisition in Ghana. We ain't just going to study the past. We're going to build for the future. Go to dreamertours.com. That's D-R-E-A, dreamertours.com. Click on Dr. Umar Johnson trip, print out the registration form, fill it out, send it in with your $150 deposit. The balance isn't due until 30 days before we depart. We leave on July 22nd, so the balance is due on June the 22nd. 
Don't miss it, brothers and sisters. Dr. Umar, Baba Smalls, Ghanaian Independence. We'll be spending our first day in Casablanca, Morocco, so you'll be visiting two countries, not one, four or five different hotels. Everything is included except some of the meals and your spending money. It's going to be off the chain. Don't miss it. Africa is for the Africans. Everybody else, get the hell out. To answer the question, when I travel the world, one of the most telling findings I've found, I've spoken in four continents, multiple countries, St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands coming up next week, Montreal, Canada coming up, and, of course, Ghana coming up. What I'm seeing, Pill, all over the world is I'm seeing Africans who are all being oppressed by white supremacy in the exact same manner. Literally, every ghetto is identical to each other. I don't care if it's in South Africa. I don't care if it's in London. I don't care if it's in Suriname. I don't care if it's in Jamaica. I don't care if it's in Toronto. I don't care if it's in Philly or Dallas. Every ghetto on earth is the same. And every black community dominated by outsiders, whether I'm in Jamaica, whether I'm in Liberia, whether I'm in Toronto, whether I'm in St. Croix, Bermuda, or Los Angeles, some non-white person is controlling the economy of the black community. That is global. Mass incarceration of black men, whether you talk in Canada, America, South America, the Caribbean, Africa, or Europe, mass incarceration of black men is one of the biggest destabilizers of the black family. Wherever I go, I see five things. Five. Number one, mass incarceration. Number two, economic colonialism and devastation of the black community by non-white people, miseducation, single-parent mothers, and black-on-black homicide going out of control. Nowhere on earth everywhere we go. And we can add to that abortion. The abortion clinics are everywhere on earth. When I was in Liberia, we saw the Planned Parenthood Center. I was in South Florida last week, Planned Parenthood Center, right in the middle of the mall. When I was in Suriname, Planned Parenthood, wherever you go, the same seven deadly sins are there. Black men killing each other like it ain't no tomorrow. And the crazy thing about that is in many of these countries, you're not even allowed to have weapons except under certain conditions. You don't have a right to bear arms in, in, in London. The queen doesn't give you the right to bear arms. You're not even allowed to walk around with a knife. Suriname, you ain't got the right to bear arms. I'm not even sure if in St. Croix. Well, yeah, St. Croix is the U.S. territory. But in Jamaica and Bermuda, I think Bermuda, I'm not sure if you have the right to bear arms unless it's under certain conditions. So even in places where you're not allowed to carry weapons, people got weapons found out in Bermuda, I found out in Suriname, guess who's bringing the weapons in? London, rich white people are controlling the illegal underground arms trade in black communities all over the world. When I was in Trinidad, I was in Trinidad, when I was in Trinidad, they told me that the East Indians control the drugs and the guns. Everybody said it. This wasn't one person's conspiracy. They said, Dr. Umar, it's not even a secret. In Trinidad, 
guns and drugs come through the East Indians. So it is a global oppression pill. And you know what everybody asks me wherever I go? Wherever I go, Amsterdam or Rotterdam, you know, the Netherlands, Birmingham, you know, South America, Canada, no matter where I go, everybody says, Dr. Umar, where is that example? Can you show us an African community anywhere on earth that's doing it right so we can replicate it? That's the sad part, Phil. I don't have one that I can point to and say, here is the example that you need to be replicated. Same thing with the schools. We got some good homeschool programs out there. Don't get me wrong. And we got some good schools out there. I was at the Marcus Garvey School the other day. But that example, I'm not seeing it. So that means what? The blueprint. I'm not talking about a good school. I'm talking about the school. Not a good black community, but the community. I'm going to make it. And that's why once we buy this college and build this school, guess what? We're going to turn that over into a black Wall Street. Because once the kids are there, Remember, Phil, we're talking about a college campus. There's hundreds of acres. Once the kids are there, guess what? We're going to create a program to build homes for all the teachers and staff right there on campus and around it, which means we're going to have to build a gas station, which means we're going to have to have a hospital, which means we're going to have to have police security. We're going to have to have fire. We're going to have to have a bank. And before you know it, my brother, from one school started At a former historically black college, we now have an independent black community. So when you hear Dr. Umar Johnson talking about building a school, I'm not just talking about education. I'm talking about revolution. From that school, we will build the first great black Wall Street of the 20. I mean, that's so necessary and that's so needed that I think and I believe and I know that it's possible you know what I'm saying? Because so many people want it. There's such a calling for it. You know, it's in people's consciousness. They know it needs to be done. It just needs to be done. So we applaud you on that first step that you're taking towards it, and you know that we are there. You know what I'm saying? Because I definitely have some things that I can share and interject in regards to some of the research that we've been doing to kickstart our own thing in regards to Cape Dale University and, and creating our own model community. So, um, you know, uh, your summary of, of your travels, do you want to add on a little bit more? Is, is there um, anything else in common, you know, on the positive side in regards to our people? I know that you're on saying the positive don't side, they ready. ready to go. On the, yeah. Mm-hmm. On the positive side, they ready. On the positive side, they I, ready. And, and I know that, yeah, you, um, because of your stance, because of your platform, because of your conversation, I know that you also have the rare ability of being in front of our youth. You know what I'm saying? Not too many people get to see the youth outside of True. being on the bus with them or on the train, you know, or, or, you know, a lot of our family work in schools. Or so it seems a lot of the family that show up to lectures, you know what I'm saying, more than likely work in some capacity in the schools. But you've encountered a lot of the youth, state to state to state. You know, what is the consensus that you're getting from the children, from the youth, from our young soldiers? You know, what is the energy that you're picking up from them? The youth 
I love the youth. I mean, I'm all about the youth. That's why I became a school psychologist. They're ready. They're just looking for the right leadership and the right guidance. They're ready. You know, I have about 20 young men to whom I serve as a big brother. You know, some of them almost my age, but they still call me their big brother. You know, and they're just ready, man. And, you know, every time I see them and I talk to them and sit down with them, you know, it's just always like, I can't wait for the opportunity to have you full-time. You know what I mean? Like I come into these schools and I spoke at schools in Mississippi and Riviera Beach and, of course, I go into the prisons and the juvenile detention centers all across the world and that kind of thing, but you're only giving them a shot. And then they get that shot, then they want more. And then it's time for you to leave, you know, and it always hurts me a little bit because I'm like, damn, I had them. They was ready to walk out of whatever life they might have been in and wasn't on the righteous path, and it was ready. Dr. Umar had them. Hook, line, and sinker to bring them into consciousness, but I'm only given a certain amount of their time. And so every time I speak to the youth, and you're right, you know, I get to speak to the youth a lot, not as much as I want to, because, you know, I tend to be in front of a lot of adult audiences, but obviously being a school-based professional, I'm around the youth quite regularly, you know, and I just salivate. I I just hunger even more for the opportunity to really help nurture and grow our young people up into the fine young men and women that they're going to be. I mean, every time I'm in front of them, it just whets my appetite even more, you know, to try to get the school up, you know, residential school, overnight, you know, a lot of people are like, well, what are, the, what are the kids going to say when they find out they got to stay? I said, let me understand something. What I'm giving them is going to be something that they ain't got nowhere else, and they're going to love it so much that the issue won't bend, won't, will not be how to keep the children at the school. That ain't going to be the issue. The issue is going to be how to get them home because the parents want to see them and they want to stay here. That's going to be my issue, not getting them off the campus. Excuse me, not, not getting them on the campus. How to get them off the campus. Same thing. You know, with um, what was the other thing? Same thing with enrollment. People say, well, how are you going to get parents to pay for an independent school? I ain't got no issue. I ain't got no issue. In fact, I could go through my email. I can go through my email right now, and I got at least 800 parents who are waiting for the school to open. That's just on my email with no advertisement, no nothing, just purely my son's going to your school. I'm willing to move for them to go there. My daughter's going. My whole family is moving there. I'm going to try to teach while my children go to your school. Ain't going to be no issue of enrollment. The issue is going to be the hard part, turning parents away because I don't have a spot for their baby. That's going to be the hard part for Dr. Uma. That's going to be the hard part, you know. And don't get me wrong, every institution is, and I know this, you know, I'm a former school administrator. You know, I'm a certified school principal, so I'm not somebody shooting from the hip. I do this. I've done this. You know, I wear two hats, psychology and education, so I know exactly what needs to be done and how it needs to be done. And the beauty of me being a school psychologist, unlike many principals, I'll be able to measure the progress of my students on a weekly basis. I won't have to wait for the state exams. I won't have to wait for that. I won't have to wait for my kids to take no tests to see how they're being taught. I'm going to be on that all day, every day. I'm making sure that they meet those goals that I set. You know, so, you know, I'm just going to have so many ways of checking the progress of the school that with the grace of God and the ancestors, we won't be able to fail. You know, I got a state-of-the-art school being designed right now. My brother Rico down in D.C., he's hooking that up. And once we raise the money for that, we're going to recreate the campus 
after we buy the campus and turn it into the state-of-the-art campus that we want it to be. So, I mean, there's just so many ways, man, we could go with this. We're going to have conferences during the week, during the weekend, summer camp, uh, programs for single fathers, programs for single mothers. We're going to have a re-Africanization academy for young children, excuse me, not young children, for older children between the age of 17 and 25. If you're a young person between the age of 17 and 25, you dropped out of school, might have got arrested, might have went into some personal problems, might have sold drugs, might have been hooked on marijuana, you just made some bad decisions after you got out of high school. Guess what? We're going to have a re-Africanization academy. You're going to come here. You're going to stay in this room. We're going to teach you. We're going to educate you. We're going to feed you, clothe you, bring you into consciousness. Make sure you get your GED, if not a straight-up diploma from us, and then make sure that you are equipped with the ability and the business coaching you need to go out into the real world and start your own business. And until you're on your own feet, you can keep living with I mean, all I can say, Phil, is I'm focused right now. I'm more focused now than I've ever been in my life right now. I'm more focused now than I've ever been. Like nothing's taking my attention away from what I got to do. Yeah. Not these little homosexual rants, not the haters. I'm focused. And so as I meet right. people and build with people, you know, I'm looking for folks who are serious about building too. So the only thing I ask the people, don't break my focus. If you contact Dr. Umar, if you send me a resume, please be serious about your shit. We are at war, and it's no time for games. I um, I regret to have to ask you this, but I have to, uh, you know, it's question is popping up in the chat room because the sisters sure. are concerned. Of course, you know, women's first thing is security, you know what I'm saying? So the women are asking how is such a um, a large institution going to be protected against infiltration? You know, how does one keep the agents out, quote-unquote? This is an overarching well, question. Um, I want you to speak on that particular question. And as well as the, the more overarching question in regards to, you know, the agents in the movement in particular, you know what I'm saying? And I know that uh, right. our brother has, has, has been traveling and, you know, I saw a letter posted online. I don't know if it was directly from you or not when the situation in Oregon arrived and you were speaking about <laughs> points that pro yeah. and the continuation of it and our people are the level of, of naiveness to think that such a successful program would just fold and go away. Um, right. Your thoughts on that? Okay. Well, first of all, there is no security in revolution. When you do this work, you do it with the full knowledge, with the full knowledge that your life can be taken tomorrow, and you got to be at peace with that. Because if you are not, I'm at peace with the fact that I can be murdered serving my people, and I'm okay with that. you got to be at peace because if you're not at peace, you will be turned into a turncoat. Anyone who has ever betrayed their people did it for two reasons. Number one, they did it for money because they was insincere, or they did it out of fear, didn't want to suffer death or prison. So number one, you have to work on yourself. One of the things that the ninja warrior and the samurai warriors were taught to do in ancient times, and, of course, both of those are African martial arts systems, okay, they were taught to meditate on death, not wish for your death, but meditate on it so you're not afraid of it. 
Okay, so as far as that piece goes, we live in the belly of the beast. We are living in a geographical territory that is controlled militaristically by the European power structure. There ain't no too much security you're going to get sleeping behind enemy lines. Now, as far as the school is going to go, you can't keep out infiltration. In fact, I'm willing to bet, I can, I can pretty much guarantee you that the FBI will have cameras on my campus that I don't even know are there. I can tell you that right now. I can tell you that right now. In fact, they're probably putting them in there. I'm sure they know the school that, we, that, that I'm looking at. It's going to be cameras when I go there for the walkthrough. It's going to be cameras there. Ain't nothing I can do about that. Now, as far as making sure no infiltrators take my curriculum and program off course, well, that's going to be easy because I'm going to be there. And the other administrators who I handpicked to help me officiate in the running of the school, they're going to be there. So the only thing that can be done is spying. They can spy. They will be able to take back intelligence as it relates to what Dr. Umar Johnson is doing. There's no way you can prevent an agent from infiltration. It is impossible, okay, because they come in all shapes and sizes. They're going to send me an elder. She might be an agent. They may send me a young, strong, revolutionary brother talking hype, but he might be an agent. They might send me this person, sweet little sister, fresh out of college, but she might be an agent. So there's no way to totally screen out an agent. But in my campus, because there's going to be security everywhere and cameras everywhere, all they can do is report. They won't be able to change the trajectory of what I'm doing because that's going to be ruled with an iron fist. Let me let me ask you this, brother. You know, and I've been waiting to speak with somebody who's deep in spirituality to be honest, give me, you know, their own consideration for this question. You know, our community can recommend you the best spiritualist to go to if I want to find out who my shorty's creeping with. <laughs> if I want to know, you know what I'm saying, how much money somebody got in the bank, I know some snoops to get some information for me. If I want to read your emails from X amount of years ago, they got to do that in the community. They have all of these people that utilize uh, their spiritual gifts or their tactical gifts for all of the, you know, nonsensical purposes, when are we going to devise some sort of council of elders, of spiritualists, of, of, of readers, you know what I'm saying, people that, um, you know, are communication with the other side to screen for agents? How come we can't sit somebody in front of a reader and tell who's an agent? Like, what type of fucking training do these agents have where they can bypass and circumvent that sort of protection system? Why don't the spiritualists know who the agents are? But they can tell you that there's a nigga plotting on you in Minnesota. I, I don't get it. Okay. Let me, let me, let me, let she me has this. On, she, has, she has on a striped shirt, dark right. skin, and you spoke to him on Saturday. Yeah, that nigga hates you. He's a secret enemy. But you can't tell me who the agents are? <laughs> I got, I got, let me respond to that. Let me respond to that couple things. Our spiritualists, our priests and our priestess are operating at different levels of spiritual consciousness. Not all of them are equal in their ability to manifest one's destiny. So that's number one. 
One spiritualist can tell you down to a science. The next spiritualist can give you some general characteristics of the agent. For example, you have a particular female around you. She's been around you for a year now. She's very aggressive for your attention. You need to be wary of her because she has been sent by the enemy. Not totally direct, but a lot better. And then the next spiritualist, okay, all they can tell you is that that person is around, but they can't give you any more clarity than that. And then the last spiritualist can't even tell you if the enemy is around. So the key isn't whether or not the spiritualist can tell you whether or not the agents are around. They can. Some spiritualists can. It's about the – and also, I would say this too, Phil, it also relates to your own internal spiritual development and how wide your third eye is because I, I don't mind telling you this. A couple years ago when I was really, 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 really on my meditation before I exploded on the conscious scene, you know, and my meditation kind of laxed a little bit because of my schedule, but I'm trying to – I got to get that refocused now with this school project ahead of me because this right here is a mighty feat. I used to have dreams with my enemy's names in them. They would, the name would be written in white with a black background. So I didn't even need to go to a spiritualist. It, my ancestors would put it in my dream to show me who my enemies were. Now, since then, my clarity has vanished a little because I haven't been well. So that's my fault. I've got to get that back, and I'm going to need that back as I work on this school because if one thing being in the conscious community has shown me, there's a lot of jealousy in it. There's a lot of backstabbing. There's a lot of envy. There's a lot of false pretenders, false teachers, false this, false that, and I cannot afford to be hoodwinked by anyone in doing this school. I can't let one Negro in. The agent is one thing the spy. But I ain't even talking about the spy. I'm talking about the ones who come in and who try to sabotage, corrupt, put out bad information, bad reputation. I'm more concerned about that type of agent, the unofficial agent. The official agent ain't going to do nothing but gather information. The unofficial agent is the ones I'm concerned about, Negroes who seek to destroy just because they're Negroes, whether they're being paid by the power structure or not. So I'm going to need to fine-tune my spirituality. I'm also going to have my spiritual people who I work with two brothers and one queen mother. I'm going to have them come to the campus, bless it. I'm going to have them come and do regular readings on the campus, regular readings for me, okay? I'm going to consider building a school almost like an act of war, which means I'm going to have to do like all of our great generals did in history, and that is consult the oracle, consult priestesses with almost every decision that I make. For example, I consulted one of my priests about even going in the direction of trying to secure the school. That was a spiritual question that we had to ask Eva, and it gave me a positive reading. This is definitely something you need to pursue. I asked about enemies, the exact topic we're talking about, and it was confirmed that they are around me, and I need to be extremely careful without question. So, yes, we can get those answers from the spiritualists. I can tell you my spiritual team, they have been quite accurate. They have been extremely accurate in helping me identify the people around me who I need to be careful of. So, again, people who aren't getting that information and who need that information, I would say it's because the quality of the person who they're relying on, the readings, really ain't at the level of consciousness that they need them to be. 
That don't mean they can't take advice from them. They might be good in other areas. They might be good in identifying med- identify medical problems you have that you don't know about. They might be good in helping you choose your next mate. They might be good in helping you decide what city you need to relocate to. But in terms of being able to identify enemies around you, that might take a higher level of spiritual consciousness. So you might have to have several. So for me, I have several people because some are better at this, some are better at that. So I don't believe in just one spiritualist. I don't, not me. I believe in having a team of them. I roll with a team of priests and priestesses because my work is too mighty to just leave it up to one person. I need stuff to be backed up. And that happens, okay? My spiritual team, they work in isolation. When I get my readings, it's just me and them, and guess what? They literally, for the most part, 75% of the reading is exactly what the other one said. I'm like, wow, that's the same old dude. Wow, that's the same warning. Wow, that's the same. So me and my team, we we, 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 we in very good alignment. I got a nice little team, a nice little team that I'm going to be relying on and to take me to that next level. Well, I'm glad to hear that, brother. You know what I'm saying? That that makes me rest a little bit more comfortable knowing that, you know, not only you identify the things that are working or have worked, but you also identify the areas in your life that, you know what I'm saying, you need to tighten up to, to, to make clarity that much yes, more sharper. Yes, sir. Because there's going to come times when there's going to be decisions that need to be made instantaneously, you know what I'm saying, and our counsel might not be accessible uh, in, in that amount, that framework of time, and that's when that that connection with voice has to be very clear, you know what I'm saying, and um, at least you know that it's been there and you want to get back to that place and may the ancestors guide you. Um. Let's see. What haven't we touched? You want you want to open up the Q and A line? Oh, the hands is up. I was just getting them ready. You know what I'm saying? Okay. I just no wanted problem. to make sure that we exhausted everything that we had to talk about in regards to the interview. Interestingly enough, we we did miss the 1111 meditation family. I do apologize. You know, we do want to remind you that this is some new moon energy here tonight. You know. We are embarking on a new moon. We're talking about um, a new thing. We're talking about a school. What, what better way, what better day to bring this situation to the forefront? This better way to plant seeds, you know, in triple stages of darkness, but to send the beacon signal out, you know, through these airwaves to the family wherever you are at. Okay, so what you did speak about, Meditating on death, it came in at exactly at 11.11, and that's not to spook anybody, family. But for those of you who haven't signed up for this assignment, you know, you have to understand that um, that's what comes with it, and you have to be totally fearless. And that's the energy that you have to walk in, and you will actually be able to live once you no longer fear death. Because you ain't living as long as you're in fear. Boom, you're going to jump out your skin. <laughs> and then you are... Uh, you're going to be wearing that wire. You know what I'm saying? You're going to be ratting like, like Reverend Al. You're going to have a greasy wire on at that. You know what I'm saying? Do you want to address that at all? You know, do you want to address the, uh, 
you know, the, uh, the, the, the outings and particular other things that have taken place as they lay waste to the agents well, that are no longer necessarily needed. So they got new and better ones and some of these rappers, so I guess they're getting rid of all of the other dudes from the 80s. And, like, shit, our 90s lineup ain't nothing like our 90s lineup. Remember, the CIA and the FBI, they have what I refer to as a confidence meter, a confidence meter. When you study the art of war by Sun Tzu, who was an African, when you study the art of war, one of the teachings in the art of war is that it's better to take over a country than to lay pillage to it. In other words, if you can take over the country and leave it intact, preferable, than just going through slaughtering everybody and destroying all the institutions in order to get control of it because you're ultimately going to have to build them back up and you're going to create a lot of bad blood against you and the victims. So that science says if you want to take over the black nation in America, if you want the African in America to be docile, you cannot rule them yourselves. Find the leaders that they respect and rule them through the leaders that rule them. That is the science that the white man is using against us. If they respect Al Sharpton, if they respect Jesse Jackson, if the NAACP has their trust, the megachurch has their faith, don't attack them. Even if you have grounds to attack them, don't do it because they are ruling them, and by ruling them, they are keeping them orderly for us. So don't go and, and, and use aggressive force against the masses. All you have to do is perfect the art of controlling the person who has their trust. It's all about the confidence meter. That's why when you look at the way the black bourgeoisie is set up, the minute the bourgeois can no longer hold your attention, they trade him in for a new one. Jesse can't hold black people's attention no more. So they traded him then for Al Sharpton. And it's looking like Al has pretty much lost his hold. So they might turn him in or someone else. But they're always grooming replacements because they know that white supremacy is held together by a lie. And because it's held together by a lie, and lies can always be uncovered, it's important that you have the replacement for the next lie once it gets exposed. So they got black leaders lined up right now, Pill, that you and I never even heard of. They got black leaders in black colleges and white colleges and Ivy Leagues who they are training to take the place who will make President Obama's influence over black folks look like a walk in the park. They are constantly perfecting the art of mind control through leadership because Sun Tzu taught them, don't destroy the community, leave it alone, just control the leader that controls your victim. Amazing. Amazing, amazing. 
and they work in that program all across the planet. Families just step back from these situations and take an assessment. Every time one of these quote-unquote leaders get ousted from these countries, you always hear that he's a CIA operative. They don't go in there and, and finagle with the whole country. You know what I'm saying? They deal with the leadership. And then they also, you know, get in bed with the opposition and play both against one another, you know, especially when they're ready to replace them. But, yeah, brother, the phone lines are packed. I ain't got to tell you that the hands is in the air. It's like a highway stick up. Um, we are going to get to as many callers as we can, all right? With your permission. Yes, sir. Yes, let's do this. All right, let's go to the 267. That sounds like a Philly number, Pennsylvania, for that matter. All right, let's take it to PA. Let's go right to your home state. Call up from the 267-269. Peace. Hello. Yes, greetings, brother. Peace. Peace, what's up? I just have a question for uh, Dr. Umar. I heard him mention civil rights. Um, <clears throat> greetings. Um Hold on, wait, let me take this there, but uh, I heard him mention civil rights, and my issue with the civil rights issue is that I'm currently a um, criminal justice major at Trump University, and in one of my classes, I've come to read a book by a John Locke, who was a co-author of the uh, Declaration of Independence. Um, with civil rights, it does not appear that there is actually a thing such as civil rights. What we have and what I have come to understand that we have, that we are actually working with, are called privileges. Uh, we have been under the title of people, person, citizens, you know, societies, and as such, we are property. And as property, we are given privileges. We have been stripped of our natural rights. And I guess my question for Dr. Umar is how come he does not address, like Dr. Martin Luther King did in his letters from Birmingham jail, the social contract and the difference between civil rights and natural rights, civil rights and privileges, so that we can possibly get on to a different level to truly get what we need in order to get to where we need to be at in life. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, let me say good question. Thank you for it. Second of all, I would say don't assume that I don't address that um, because in my PowerPoint presentation on the civil rights movement, I do deal with that. And I don't deal with the social contract. I deal with something that I would consider more important, and that would be human rights. And my premise is the same as the Honorable Marcus Garvey's as well as El Hajj, Malik El Shabazz, and that is that the African in America is not a member of the body politic of this country, is not a citizen and can never be, and as a result, he has a right to organize him and herself as an independent nation, no different than what South Sudan did from Northern Sudan. Countries are born every day in this world. In fact, since World War II, the amount of countries that exist in this world have increased almost twofold. So we have the same right to recognize ourselves as a nation of people, and we don't necessarily have to call ourselves Moors in order to do that. I just wanted to clarify that or led to believe that you've got to be a Moor in order to be recognized as an independent nation. That's not true at all. Uh, independent nations can be recognized in any way that they so choose. And I think that what we need to begin to do is that we need to finish the work of Mr. Garvey and El Hodge, and that is take the plight of African people as we are treated here before the world court. Take the United States government to court 
for crimes against humanity. If you look at the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights, the Human Rights Charter, every single one of those rights that they claim human beings have a right to are being violated in America against Africans by white folks on a daily basis. So without question, we have a case, but we have to make it. And that means we have to stop going through civil court. I totally agree with you. It's privileges. It's not rights. And I think that we need to also uh, protest and apply to the uh, Human Rights Abuses Tribunal in Switzerland, uh, Geneva. Uh, We need to have a contingency sent over there, a group of commissioners who go over there to put forth that paperwork. And I think we also need to be at the level of the International Criminal Court and trying the United States for crimes against humanity, not just for the enslavement of our ancestors, but the crime of oppression and racism that we are suffering right now is nearly as bad as the enslavement process was. So I'm totally in agreement with you. Um, But one thing that I would like to graduate to um, in this type of discussion and one thing that I'm going to teach our children at the school, and that is there's something larger than rights. And that thing that is larger than right is what the white man uses to control people and dictate their rights, and that's called power. Power determines how you're treated in this world, not rights. We all know that the United Nations was created as a brainchild of the Rockefellers, as a step towards the one world government. So we can go to Geneva, we can go to the ICC, and we're still only going to get so much justice because that's still controlled by the global power structure. If it wasn't, it wouldn't exist. In fact, most of the evil that they perpetuate, they perpetuate it through the United Nations. So what we have to do is organize ourselves so that we can be able to exercise the power, the potential power that we represent as a global force. The resources of Africa, that's power. The numerical and intellectual strength of African people here in the West, that's power. So for me, the rights will come once we begin to exercise the power. And in order to exercise the power, we have to come together and we have to get unified. And I think that's one of our biggest problems. It's hard to bring us together to manifest our collective power because we're too busy working against each other's best interests. So I want to go to that level above rights. This world is run on power. The United States didn't kill Gaddafi because there was a legal mandate to do so. There was no legal mandate for them to invade Libya, none whatsoever. There was no jurisdiction that gave them a right to do that. They did it because they had power and they dared anybody to stop them. When they went into Afghanistan and when they went into Saudi Arabia uh, after 9-1-1, they really didn't have a legal mandate for that. Countries all around the world was asking them for proof that it was al-Qaeda that did it. It's countries to this day that would say al-Qaeda didn't, you know, bomb the Twin Towers. And, of course, you and I know that it was an inside job, but they invaded anyway. Why? Because they have power. This world, politically, and I'm a political science major, not too much different than what what you're studying now, this world is run on gangster laws. If we want to get right down to it, this world is run on gangster laws. In other words, the same law that the brothers use to regulate in the hood, the same law that the corner boys is using is the same law that the white power structure is using. Corner and, and boys don't where, give a damn what's on paper. Corner boys yeah. got a law. You're going to do this, you're going to do that. If you violate, I'm going to take your life. It's as simple as that. It don't matter what's written on paper. It's all about what I'm going to do. And that's how the white man operates. Power. The Chinese man. Power. In fact, 
if you have power, you don't even have to worry about the law because most of the laws are written by the people with the power. I don't want the law. I want the power. Right. For right. for purposes of discernment, can we define power? Can we get a definition of terms? Wow. Okay. I'll give a brief one, but I'm going to need to expand it later. And I would say power is the force that compels a person or a nation or an entity to do even what it does not want to do for fear of the consequences if it is not done. Hello? Hello? Yes, Dr. sir. Umar? Yes. Just, just a quick question. Yes, the terminology that you yes. just used. Are you there? Yes. yes. I can hear you. The, the terminology that you just used in your definition on power, you said person. Now, Prior to that, you was talking about how we need to be recognized as a nation. What I am right. trying to get at within my criminal study, uh, criminal justice studies is basically to turn the law in on itself, to have it to challenge the law itself by using its own terminologies. So when you use the word person, person being described as a artificial person, meaning to have the right to sue or be sued, that's totally different than what a natural person is or a natural individual. And as a natural individual, I know that you're going above our natural rights with human rights and with power and everything, but in order for them, in my, in my understanding, in order for the government or anybody in those positions to have power over, over you, you have to be categorized. In a category, you have to be classified as a person, a people, citizens. You have to belong to a society, a group that is held accountable to the laws of a government, which is where you get your civil rights from. And my whole ambition, within the reason as to why I'm studying criminal justice, is to turn that inside out. Because the way I understand it, individuals are not accountable to the U.S. government. If we can find a way to retain and get our rights back as natural individuals, natural citizens, we are not governed by this government. So it, go, it falls in line with what you're saying about establishing a, a nation, so, uh, so to speak, because in that way we're still not being governed by the United States of America. We're not governed under their laws. Do you, do you, do you follow me? I, I do follow you, but my only concern is, and I, and, and, and I definitely support you in that initiative to look for that way to turn the law on itself, I just think sometimes we forget the fact that the white power structure is willing and ready at any moment to abandon the law in order to further its own aims. See, one of my issues I have with the brothers who deal with the law is that they tend to think that there's some sort of salvation through it. It's not. The law is only provisional for those in power to keep the victims confused enough into thinking that if they follow it, they can somehow take power from those who made it. So I'm not against that, but I'm saying that we've got to be careful not to get too bogged down into the terminology and legalities of it because the law was created to control the victims. The laws were not created to control those with power because people with power operate above the law every day. The Bilderbergs, they're not worrying about no law. The Council on Foreign Relations, they could care less what the law is 
probably never even read it. The Order of Rome, the Trilateral Commission, the world is not run on law. The world actually, let me take that back. <laughs> the world is ran on one law and one law only, and that's the law of power. I totally agree with you. But, uh, you know, but again, I think that the way the power base for them to obtain this power and maintain the power is through the classification. And again, by but remember, they didn't get the power through classification. How did the white man come to rule? He did not do it through classification. He said he did it through brute military strength. And then once he took power, then he created the system of classification. Remember, most countries that exist in this world were obtained through war, through combat, not through law, but through war. And then once, in other words, the power went first, the law came second. I'm going to use my power to take America. Once I have America, I'm going to create law and structure and protocol and precedent to keep power under my control. The law favors the rich and powerful because it's written by them interests. So I don't really see how you can use power to overcome oppression because if you can use power – to overcome oppression, that's also like saying you can have a revolution without bloodshed. And I do oh, not no. think that's You're possible. You're saying power. Do you mean law instead of power? For the words that you're, for what you're well, well, describing, so you said you don't think power well, I'm looking at law can overcome versus oppression? Power. Or you're saying law? Law versus power. Right, power is the ability to force your will. Power is the right. ability to force your will, period. Okay. Period. Right. And then there's the law that allows for certain pathways to be taken to obtain justice. Now, if you take those yeah. pathways that are allowed for you by way of the law, you will do just fine until it takes you up to the point where you have to confront power in its brutalist, rawest form, and then it will destroy you. You can never lose. You can never use the law to 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 obtain to take power away from someone who already has it. Well, there's no you, example again, in world history. I want to. There's no yeah, example in the annals of human right. history where you can show people who obtained freedom, liberation, or the acquisition of power through legal means. Show that to me. It does not exist. Okay. okay. All power is taken at the end of a sword. Yes, I want to say thank you to the caller. You have brought forth some wonderful questions. Excellent, my brother. Excellent. I've created a very engaging conversation around those questions. We appreciate thank you. you. Uh, stay in contact with Dr. Umar. I definitely think that a further dialogue with you brothers, you know what I'm saying, would benefit you both uh, immensely. So thank you. Thank okay. you very much. Um, I'll look for you on Facebook to try and contact Yes, sir. I'm going to give you my number, too, yes, my brother, so we can build, so we can build a little okay. bit more. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm, you want me to stay yes, on the line, brother? Nah, okay. you can hang, but I'm yeah, going to give the number. Listen to the program. So yeah, he'll announce it before the Right. Okay. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, brother. All right, my brother. Thank you. you. Okay. Yes, indeed. And along, along, 
the conversation as well, I should have asked you this earlier. I also want you to define racism because I, I didn't learn many things in school. I could count the amount of things that I learned on my hand. But one thing that I did learn is the definition of racism, and it always stuck with me. And I've always had a an ear to see if people... Well, I'm going to tell you, you're still there, Phil. Phil, I think I might have lost you. You there, my brother? Peace. Doc. Hello? Yes, sir. I can hear you now. Yeah. My line got clipped. No, I got pushed off, okay. but I'm back. Okay, um, cool. Definition of racism, what I was saying, that I learned that in school, and I hadn't heard it repeated until you defined it the other day. Now, we don't have to get into that right this minute. We can take another caller and then segue into okay. it at some point or however you sure. feel it. That's how we can flow okay. into it. But we do got some hands up, so I want to start knocking some of these callers out. Uh, we have okay. about 15 minutes remaining for the live broadcast, and then we go into overtime, family. You can join us by calling 347-637-2135. I'm going to repeat that one more time. That's 347 637 2135. Now we're going to go up to uh, the New York, up top, 718. Call us, 718-450. All right, let's take it up top, 718-450. Call us, peace. Peace. It's, um, this is Rashida. Rashida Bay up here in New York. Greetings. Um, I want to say peace to um, Brother Umar, and I'm really, I'm just so excited about what he just said. You know, I can't see anybody calling in there right now with anything else to say, but what's up? What time is it? When does it start? Where do I sign up? Like, I don't have anything else to talk about. <laughs> I am so excited about what he's trying to do. Like, this sounds awesome. I'm so glad about the clarification he gave about the 501c3. Because I was sitting there thinking that, hey, this is the way that we can finally get it together and actually build together. And so far as a nation, like, okay, well, you know, I'm understanding the religious affiliation, how you can do the 501c3 and things like that. And maybe, okay, if we're talking about we need schools, somebody can open a soup kitchen here, somebody can open daycares and here, this, that, and the other. But when he wrote that down, it was like, oh, like, oh, damn. Like, yeah, I knew it was too good to be true. But that's why I love Umar. And I'm just telling her I just wanted to call in and just say, that's just wonderful. I'm definitely going to try to get my resume together. I got some raw vegan food on deck. I'm a self-made nutritionist by way of, I'm going to say, give a shout-out to Umi Mama Hafiza, who taught me how to do my raw sea moss. I'm rocking right now. or trying to rock right now, but I'm there. And I'm just glad about what you're trying to do right now. Like, you, you have no idea. This is what we've been waiting for. And um, I want to know how much you need. I, I, I wanted to know if maybe you could say that out loud and say how much it's going to run for you all, what it's going to cost, or what's your estimates. Like maybe we could get some kind of fundraiser going, get some of the uh, <clears throat> conscious MCs along with some of the other ones like Griff. I don't know. Something something can give. But I was just wondering, what do you need? How much is it going to run? Did, did they give you an estimate? How many millions you need to save the zone? Like what's going on? Can you give a little bit more details on that, or are you? Or, I know you said it would be up soon, like you, you would know. Just make sure to keep us posted some kind of way. <laughs> oh, definitely, definitely. Um, and I thank you for the words, Queen. Uh, yeah, I'm not able to say any more, and that's because we're still negotiating the price. Uh, we're trying to get it as low as possible so the African public, 
you know, will only have to generate what is absolutely necessary. But by the first, well, first of May is a couple of cases. I'm going to say by next week, you know, I should know for sure. We're going to know quickly. And once I know, everybody will know. So please make sure that you text the Dr. Umar to 36,000 on your cell phone because as soon as I find out, that's the first place that's going to be made aware. Now, one other thing I want to say about the 501. The 501c3, okay, is one thing. Taking grants is something different. Now, most people get the 501c3 tax exemption so they can get the grant because most people who give will only give if they can write it off. If they can't write it off, they're not going to give. So the issue isn't the 501 as much as it is taking the money. Let me give an example. If you say you're going to open up a daycare uh, for our children and you want it to be free of cost to the parents, okay, but you want it to be totally African-owned and independent, well, guess what? You can start that program, have it as a private program, which means it's not getting any funding from the government or any uh, tax-exempt philanthropy. So what you may say, if Oprah want to give me some money, so be it. If, you know, LeBron wants to give me some money, so be it. But I'm not taking any money from any non-African sources. You're okay. Why? Because you're not taking money from white philanthropists or the government so they cannot dictate what you do. Because the way the grants are set up, when you get a grant, you basically got to follow the guidelines of the grant. Then they can come in and police you on it. So if you decided to get a 501, I'm not against it in and of itself. The issue ain't the 501. The issue is getting the 501 so you can accept money from the government and white philanthropists troll you. The fact that the NAACP is 501 ain't the issue. The fact that they use their 501 to get money from the government makes it an issue because now they're giving over their independence. That's the issue. My school is going to be tax exempt, but we're only going to take philanthropy from African-owned institutions and African-owned philanthropists. If I don't want any money and I'm not going to accept any money from any non-African entity because it's going to be private, it's going to be independent, we're going to have to last say. So let's say Oprah said, well, look, I want to give you this money. I want to be able to write it off. She <laughs> will be able to do that. LeBron said, I want to give you a check, but I want to be able to write it off. She will be able to do that. So you do need that tax-exempt shelter if you want that money to flow a little bit more freely from the black folks who have it because most of them ain't going to give it unless they can write it off. The issue, the problem is only when you accept the grants from the government and from white philanthropists, that's when you give up your freedom. Mm. That's, that's just really interesting that, that, you, that you brought that up, but I'm glad you clarified that too in itself because I was just ready to drop the whole damn thing. <laughs> when I heard you say the word, I'm like, oh, he said it. It's got to be what it is. But, um, okay, so you're saying that basically I could do that, but does that uh, – so I can sign up under the 501c3 status and, and just block myself off only to black um, <clears throat> corporations and, and, and of funds. Of course, because you. remember, the money don't come to you because you're 501. you got to go find the money. Mm-hmm. In other words, once you get your 501c3 status from the IRS, nobody's showing up at your door with a check. All that does is give you the freedom to go and solicit funds 
from philanthropists, okay, who are looking for tax write-offs, and from the government that has grants, you see. And, of course, philanthropists have grants as well, which is a tax write-off. So you'll get a donation, which is a tax write-off, or you'll get what's called a structured and organized donation. That's a grant. But you have to go find that. That's why you have grant writers. You have a whole industry of grant writers, people who will say, you got a 501, guess what? I can get you a couple million dollars for your program. You just have to pay me 15% of everything you raise. And they're going to go after everything, the Rockefeller grants, U.S. Department of Education, U.S. Department of Health and Human Service, the latest grants from foster kids, the latest this, the latest that. But 99.9% of all the money they bring to you will be government and it will be white corporations that's going to come with strings and stipulations on what you can do and how you must do it. So that's the issue. So, so when I go and search out these grants, like <clears throat> for the different grant sites that I go to, I need to be searching out primarily African-American philanthropy organizations. That's what, I would, that's what I'm going to be doing. Now, if you're on, you know, the race-first paradigm as I am, that's what you'll be doing. You're going to be looking for the African-American philanthropy, okay, which can be tough because there's not a lot of it, but I'd rather do it that way than at all because that's just, a, you know, self-reliance is a religion to me. So there's no other way for me to do it. And wherever I fall short in getting blacks who have money and who have foundations to donate, then I'm looking at the African-American community, excuse me, the global African community in my case, to pick up the rest of that slack, you see. But what most black folks do, they say, look, most of the money the white folks got it, the government got it. I'm not going to turn it down. I need this money. But they give up their freedom. My freedom is too important. I'm not giving that up. Nobody's going to fund me and then tell me how I'm going to operate. It's not going to happen. Furthermore, even if they weren't going to tell me how to operate, I don't want the white dollar because if my school is built on white money, then that's not a victory for me. That's a victory for white people. They'll be able to stand back and say, yeah, he got a school for black boys, but guess how we got it? We gave it to him. That's no victory. I'm tired of white people paying our way through shit. I'm sick and tired of us relying on them to do what we need to do for ourselves. The way I see it, Marcus Garvey didn't build his movement with white money. Mr. Muhammad didn't build his movement with, with, with white money. Dr. York didn't build his movement with white money. So why I got to build my school with white money? You know, for me, it's just not an option at all. It's not an option at all. You know, and if you're of that same vein, then it ain't an option. Thank you. So much. Um, also, so just wondering, kind of, is it going to be like from grade school on through? That's going to be awesome. Is it? Is it? Is it just a college? No, no. And because I heard you mentioning the children. <laughs> so I'm right. wondering, yes, if it's, it's, like um, is it like? Um, it'll be grade school first. It'll be grade school first, and depending on how much money we raise and generate, and I want to say generate because I want the school to some extent to be a self-funding institution. We're going to have farmland. We're going to have a daycare there. Uh, so people who are good at daycare, send your resumes in because we will have a daycare. That will be one of the businesses that will help sustain the school. We're also going to have a state-of-the-art bookstore and cafe on campus. That will be another business that will sustain the school. And then we're going to get the farm up and running. That will be another business that will sustain the school. So we're going to have multiple businesses that's going to help generate the cash. I just don't want to rely on the black community to keep us afloat. We're going to do things ourselves to be able to keep us afloat, just like Booker T. Washington did with Tuskegee. I'm going to use his model. You know, he did have to rely on some philanthropy, but a lot of the money that they needed 
they raised. And I want to be able to do the same thing to reduce the burdens, the financial burden to our community and to those black wealthy donors who, who may want to donate. But I just wanted to clarify with you, it's not the 501c3 as much as it is where your funding is coming from. The 501c3 allows you to be tax exempt, but where is your funding coming from? They don't have to pay taxes on that money that they give to you, and you don't have to pay taxes on the money that you receive. Okay, but where is the funding coming from? Too many black organizations are taking grants from people who are literally destroying the black community. The 501c3, when I talk about that, when we talk about the 501c3, we're really talking about the money that is often given in the name of the 501c3. Because 501c3 basically says, you know, I am an organization that can be contributed to for folks who are looking for tax write-offs because it's a tax-exempt organization, you know, so it's all about the money. What is the source of your funding? Because whoever pays rules, and that's why for me the money will be all black. That's all right. Well, I'm um, I'm looking forward to hearing how it goes. I'm going to put it in the air that it is going down, that it's going to happen for us. I'm just going to keep that energy going, that, that this is going to happen the way it needs to happen. Keep the high spirits. And um, I'm going to just, I, I, I want to be involved. I will help out in any kind of way that I possibly can. We're going to I'm going to get over here on the, the music and, you know, <laughs> I will help out in any way I can. I'm going to just go crazy on my Facebook, any post you put up. I was trying to be one of your Facebook friends, which is cool. But anything you put up or anything that feels and raise whoever, like I'm I'm, I'm reposting, like I'm closing down. I cannot wait to hear the outcome of this. And I'm very, very excited. I have my own little girl who, like, I want to homeschool her and stuff, but it's getting hard out here, and I'm seeing that now it looks like I have to go back to work and – I'm just trying to figure out a way to keep it moving with her and not actually be away from her. But if I do, to be comfortable with the people I'm with because I don't – she's all vegan. She's always been raw. She's never had those vaccinations, no white claps, I'm not stand over, no footprints, or none of that. And it's just like I don't even know a way to keep that going. But for me to say something like that is just awesome right now because it gets – it's kind of tough out here. You can do it when you when your family unit's there, but unfortunately our – community kind of we deal with different things as far as how relationships go and we need to just be able to when the time comes where a sister needs assistance but we, if we can just stay focused on the children and what the children need you know what I'm saying like sometimes to that where you don't have that extra support and it's kind of hard if you don't have that whole family unit going together you don't really know what to do but all you do know is what you know <laughs> and once you're once you know the truth of how things are you're obliged to go along with it and if you see that for some reason it seems like you can't raise your child the way that you know is right but you know it it kind of messes with you so to hear you saying something like this is, a, is just a, a good thing because it's gonna it, it gives you an alternative like and, and I think everybody needs to jump on board with this and anybody who ain't is just, you know. <laughs> but yeah, so praises to you and good luck. And I'm, I'm, I'm wishing you well. I'm wishing all. Thanks a lot, yeah. Queen. Make sure, make sure you uh, send me that resume because um, I'm gonna look at these yeah. dorms and depending on what we see with the dorms, there might be a situation where one of those dormitories can be earmarked for the teaching staff. 
So, for example, you have your daughter. Let's say if you ended up working at my school, there might be a situation where she can attend, you can work, and then, you know, for folks who don't have a home yet but have to be there to teach and work, they can live in the dorm. But I'm really looking at a dorm for staff, you know, until they're able to buy a home or find a separate residence or even if they just want to stay at the school, you know, because it's going to be a family atmosphere. But I want to make it as easy as possible for people who have to relocate to work yeah. at the college. So, you know, we're going to try to help you guys out. But definitely, definitely send me the resume. I'll be interested in it. Okay. Um, yes, I, um, Thank I you, Paula. Yeah, please. Hello? Hi, Daddy. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Carla. All right. Mama. All right. Yes, thanks. Thank you. All right, we're going to go to the 904. Okay, family, let's go to the 904-729. 904-704-729. Carla, you and I are rocking with the best. Peace. Peace, peace. How you doing, brothers? Peace and love. All is well. How you doing, Dr. Umar? I met you before. I talked to you about my brother a while back, and I went to see you in Summer Solstice, so I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you again uh, this year. Um, I will say this. for I'm, I'm sure I speak for a lot of people. We do worry about you. You know, you're very bold. I say, this brother got to be a Leo. I'm a Leo. He got to be a Leo because you... you <laughs> Yes, so sir. you know we worry about you putting the information out, and we worried about you being infiltrated. But we know that you are highly protected from the universal God, and we appreciate everything you're doing. And what separates you from everybody else is you said it before in one of your lectures. You actually doing something and not just talking. Because I realize it's more than wearing the black and green, throwing my fist up, meeting every lecture, being on YouTube, trying to catch every single video. Is more than that, and I appreciate you putting your life out there. This is what um, I wanted to ask you about. I, I, I'm a felon, and um, I'm actually um, I have my, ma- uh, my um, working on my master's degree in business administration, but I do have my bachelor's in sociology, and it's very extremely hard. Even though I'm a highly educated brother, my felony is over 12 years old. It, it dictates a lot of stuff from where I can live, where I can go, where I job. And, I'm so, and, and by me being a self-sufficient person and knowing that I can do better, I'm having to live under my means. It's to the point where I want to be educated on a dual citizenship for Ghana because I'm ready to leave the United States. That's how bad it is. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I know I, I just listened to one of your lectures online, and you were talking about um, you want to have some type of program for offenders and stuff like that, and we know – that the system is designed for us to keep continually going back into the prison system or living substandardly and, and struggle. Um, what would you suggest? You know, I mean, it's, I mean, I mean, it's like I'm trapped, really, and I know I'm not the only black man, and I know that you're mm-hmm. talking on this, before, but I, I'm trying not to give up, trying not to be, um, you know, negative, but it, it's frustrating knowing that this one mistake they have a design and see. It, have it designed that, you know, I can't perpetuate a better lifestyle for myself or my family. So that's what I wanted to ask you about. I got you. Good question. Well, one of the things that I'm going to be doing this summer is holding a meeting of the mind for black ex-offenders because I think that's one of our most neglected populations, but I also think one of our greatest sources of potential because many of our brothers and sisters who've done time come back out of that thing 
with such intelligence and study and wisdom and knowledge because when you're locked up, you know, although it's no place nobody wants to be, you know, you're forced to go into stuff. You're forced to clean up yourself. You're forced to purge. You're forced to study. So a lot of times, ironically, even though that's not a place we want to be, some of us come out with a whole different mindset that's more beneficial to us than when we went in. So my thing is we have to get all these brothers and sisters together who have done time and look at how we can use the knowledge and skill that they had before they went in and what they've acquired since they've been in, the constructive things, and see how we can flip that into a corporation. Because the way I see it, all black ex-offenders in a particular state or city should be looking at coming together under a corporation. What can we do together? Do we need to start an interstate transportation system like the Koreans got, where they got a whole bunch of, of, of mini minivans taking people from this city to this city to that city and making a whole hell of a lot of money doing that? Megabus came from that sort of a concept. So we have to look at what bring to the table who have these felonies on a record, where can we get some funding to actually, you know, use as business startup cash to actually get them working together as their own independent corporation. You know, because the beauty is that no matter what record you have, it doesn't stop you from going into business. But what we need is the capital. We need access to the funding that could get our brothers and sisters moving about. And my thing is I don't want everybody doing their own thing. I want them to come together and everybody do their own thing but working for the same thing. So that's something that I want to put together, that ex-offender uh, think tank, meet that of mine. And if you're interested in, you know, helping me with that, then definitely get with me offline because you're right, we've got to do something. Too many of our brothers and sisters are trapped. People are ignoring them, not doing nothing about it. In a lot of states they can't even vote, so politicians don't even worry about them. So, yes, sir, let, let, let's talk about that maybe tomorrow and see what we can do. Yeah, yeah, it, um, and you know what, Doctor Umar? When you think about it, it's a it's, it's a labor force waiting because no one they don't they they have it ostracized exactly. from. You know what I'm saying? So I, you you write about that. Um, just another thing before I go. This I'm I'm in Jacksonville. I'm actually um, from Virginia. I'm from Newport News, Virginia. And I'm mad because uh, you haven't been to Jacksonville, but you've uh, been to Newport News in Norfolk, and I'm and I actually want to move back up north because I used to stay in Philly myself. But there's a lot of schools that I've seen around here that's closed down. They're pretty big campuses. And I was, um, I'm going to get your number, and I just wanted to let you know ahead of time, I'm going to take some pictures, and I'm going to get some addresses, and I'm just going to text them to you. And um, Okay. If you're interested, I don't know. I mean, it's like one big school, like right down the street from where it's closed off of, all by itself. And I'm like, hey, Dr. Umar, I could use this right here. You know what I'm saying? Even if it's a satellite school for what you're really trying to do. You know what I'm saying? Right. But, um, I definitely want to help you with that because it'll help me out. Because, I mean, I, I feel like I'm too intelligent and have too much going for yeah. myself to be living a, a better life or being able to help my people. You know, yeah, and so. by being yeah. put through a certain situation, the experience has helped me. You know, so we need you. Brother, we love you. And, um, I definitely, whatever you instruct me to do, what you need me to do, um, I'm willing to do it. Shout out to Indeed, my, my brother. family. Brother Omar, let me share with you something real quick, because there are some very large um, benefits. January, shout out to Diallo Sekou and the Summit of the Moors. You know, Jacksonville is very strategic in regards to its location. It's recognized as the biggest city in regards to, um, you know, square mileage in terms of, of landscape area. 
it's enormous. Um, and the ports in Jacksonville, you know, will take you that river current, that ocean current, should I say, will lead into those ports, go directly into Africa, you know. So, in regards to finalizing and living out Garvey's dream, those ports are waiting for that realization. It's just sitting there. So, yes, we might want to go to Jacksonville. Um, we'll do. We'll do. I spoke down there before twice. Place. Yeah, I spoke okay. down there before twice, maybe two years ago, but I haven't yeah. been in about two years. So, yeah, I'm going to check it out. I'm going to definitely check it out. Okay, so so what would you like me to do? Just you're gonna just leave your number on um yeah, 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 yeah number my number right after this. Oh, uh, put it put it okay yeah, put it in your cell phone, my brother. Put it in your cell phone. It's area code two one five, and this is for everybody listening. This is my cell number two one five nine eight nine nine eight five eight. Again, two one five nine eight nine nine eight. Five eight. You may have to send me a text message. I get so many voicemails. My voicemail box stays full every day. So when I clear it out, it's packed again. So text message is really how I'm operating now. So um, yeah, just hit me with a text, my brother, and we can definitely wrap. And also make sure you text Doctor Umar to thirty six thousand, so you'll be on the text message club. Oh, I already did. I did it yesterday. Bless. <laughs> Glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. Great. All right. Thank you, Dr. Yes. Umar. And we'll thank you, Dr. Right, sir. Yes, indeed. Please call up. Okay, Please. let's go to the 229. Call up from 229-296. Call up from the 229. Peace, family. Any questions, comments, or concerns for the good brother? Peace. Peace. How you doing? Bless you. Greetings. Greetings. Yes. Um... I just want to say it's a pleasure to speak with you, Dr. Umar. I um, uh, learned of learned of you uh, in January uh, after uh, watching Hidden Colors, and I, you know, started doing some research to try to educate myself on all this stuff that I really was clueless about. Um, I also uh, I ordered your book from your website, uh, Dr. Umar, Dr. Umar Johnson dot com. Yes, ma'am. Um, but I, I didn't receive it, and I, I ordered the book in the early part of January, and it said it will take like six weeks, but I, I never received it. it. They did um, take the money from my account, but I never received the book, and I tried, you know, contacting you um, through your email and uh, the phone number, but I wasn't able to get any uh, solutions from that. Okay, well, this is what you need to do, because I, I don't know what's going on, but for some addresses, and I don't know if this might not be yours, but I'll be getting returns. Like I just got about 25 books returned. They're saying address invalid. So I don't know what's going on with that. But all you have to send me a text message. Did you text me your information? Or did you just email me? Uh, I emailed and I text. You emailed and you text. But I want uh-huh. you to retext it. Okay. Retext it and do it tonight because I'm taking a shipment to the post office in the morning. So what I can do is send your book out again okay. because all my January has been done. In fact, nearly I'm, all, I'm, I'm basically up to date now. So that means either yours was one of the return ones or maybe it didn't get to you for some reason. But I want you to text it to me tonight. Do it now because I'm taking a shipment to the post office in the morning. 
and I can just include yours in there. That's no problem. All right, so you just need my first and last name and my mailing address. And your mailing address, yes, ma'am. Okay, I can do that. No problem. No problem. My apologies on that. Thank you, Carla. Indeed. Thank you. Yes. Let's go to the 567. 567. Did we just do that number? Well, let's see. 567, 694, caller. Peace. Hey, 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 Peace. Like, he was in the wrong place talking crazy about Obama. That's what it sounded like. Call us with 321, peace. 2-1, are you with us, peace? Okay. Let's go to the 425-919. Call, are you there? Peace. Greetings. Yes, peace. Good day to you. Yes, uh, good day to you, Dr. Umar. Blessings. Good day to you, my brother. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm out here in Seattle, but I'm from um, I'm from Philly, though, so it's all love. I grew up in uh, Germantown on uh, Morton Street, so oh, yeah, wow. it's all love. Okay. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, I, yo, great conversation tonight. Um, I'm glad you and the brother actually um uh, was building on the um the law conversation because you know a, a lot of us out there, you know, we run into that conversation a lot with law, and um, you know, basically how we can free ourselves with law, but you know, we definitely forget about the power. Um, I ran into a good explanation of that with the situation that happened on the Maldives Island and um, on the, in the Indian Ocean, where they kicked off the um, indigenous, they kicked the people, the indigenous people, off of that um, island for their little secret base. And when the indigenous people won their lawsuit so that they can go back to the island, the U.S. and the EU didn't allow them to go back. So that was just a perfect example of, you know, them using their power over, you know, law. And that that story actually ran on um, 2020. So it, it was mainstream and you couldn't miss it. You know, they showed their power. Um, I, I think one of the main questions I wanted to ask you, um, I know we talked about the uh, Sterling situation. Um, this situation kind of brought back to my mind uh, Dr. Uh, Welsing's work where she talked about um, genetic annihilation and how it exposed their system. I just wanted to get your opinion on, because I find myself debate, uh, in conversation with, with my people about the, the racism, but I, I tell them it's not necessarily the racism, the racism that's the issue. It's their fear of genetic annihilation, and I totally get that. Um, but there's just so much pushback when it comes down to the genetic debate. I just wanted to get your opinion on Dr. Uh, Welsing's work because I've just never heard you speak on it before. I'm sure you probably have. It's, it's just I haven't heard it yet. Yeah, no, I agree with her. Um, I share the same premise, which is that white supremacy is based on white genetic survival without question. Um, if you're white and you and, – and see – the interesting thing about the European, and this goes to what Till was saying earlier about racism, is that he's in control politically or militaristically, but he's not in control biologically. That's, that's the issue. That's the, 
Achilles' heel of white supremacy. We are controlling economically, politically, militaristically, educationally, but we don't rule biologically. The African rules biologically. See, that is the great balance of power, if you would. They have all the power except the biological. And because they don't have the biological, their power isn't guaranteed perpetually. Because if you're weak biologically, that means you risk extinction on your own without anybody doing anything to you. On the opposite, you have the African who cannot be made extinct biologically because he's genetically dominant. So if you want to kill the African, you have to do something to the African. If you want to get rid of the European, you just leave them to themselves, you see. Mm -hmm. And so that's the great crux of history. You know, that's the great white supremacist predicament, you know, and that also helps explain the hatred that they have for African people because we got all this power and yet people are still here, you know, and it's because of our biological authority, our biological dominance. That's the superiority, inferiority complex that the European suffers from, and that's why you're always trying to get rid of black folks because he is hypersensitive about the risk not only intermarriage or interdating, but also of extermination, self-inflicted extermination by virtue of melanin deficiency because white people are basically at a zero population growth rate. Their numbers have not been climbing. They've been stuck at about 10% of the world ever since they came out of the cave. So they're not doing too good when it comes to regeneration. That's why fertility mm-hmm. growth are so popular amongst them. They're having 10 kids at a time, 15 kids at a time because they're very conscious of their ability to be wiped out without military warfare. You do not have to kill them. They can kill themselves off. They're destined. They're destined to self-exterminate because of their weak genetic pool. So what they have to do is get rid of everybody else, and so this way they think that maybe they can survive. But even if they were to hypothetically get rid of everybody else and be the only people left on the planet, I still don't see them lasting a very long time because you really don't find mutated species that are able to exist perpetually into the future. And I'm not even wishing nothing on them, but, you know, it's interesting because when you talk about survival of the fittest and natural selection, which one of the greatest white supremacists on earth, you know, pioneered in that, Charles Darwin, you know, he talked about how what? He said that the strong naturally overcome the weak. So Mm -hmm. if the strong naturally overcome the weak and black genetics is stronger than white genetics, what did he really say? He thought he was saying that whites were stronger. But what what he really said is in the natural order of things, the mutated species will naturally die off and reintegrate itself into the unmutated species or the dominant gene. So using his own theory, it all in his own theory, he could argue that the day will come when there will be no more white people, whether they like it or not. Yes, sir. And you so and you actually said that um, the Sterling situation was was uh, like white sacrifice, and and that's something that Nellie Fuller um, pushes as well. You know, the fact that they will sacrifice their own to keep their to keep their system intact. And I totally see that. Without even being gullible, it's like all you have to do is have an open eye. Like 
um, bam, there you go. That's the reason why this whole situation popped off. Um, and I just had another quick question. Um, and it was still on that basis of genetic annihilation. You know, you have Bill Gates and you have Al Gore pushing the, you know, the sterilization of, of Africa. And, I mean, it's, it's out in the open, and no one's really condemning it. I mean, like, you know, from a mainstream perspective, how is it that they are allowed to even consider sterilizing Africa just because they're afraid that Africa is going to have the highest population come 2050? Because it's an old strategy that they've done before. Remember, up until the 1964 Civil Rights Bill, half the states in this country had forced sterilization laws. So you've only been without forced sterilization in America for 50 years. For most of Mm -hmm. American history, there was some form of sterilization, even going back to slavery. So sterilization, eugenics, population control by force, is a part of American history and cultural thought. Most white people believe that there's nothing wrong with reducing, through unnatural means, the regeneration of certain species, particularly African people. That's a part of white supremacy. If you are a a racist, you obviously believe that reducing the number of a particular race that you consider to be inferior is actually not, what do they call it, in one of the popular eugenics journals, they say that it wasn't even, it wasn't a crime but a blessing to the inferior people. In other words, by helping a black woman abort her baby, you're really showing her charity because she's too retarded Mm -hmm. to know that she's giving birth to a retarded child. So we have to make decisions for them. And this is how white supremacy operates. That's why white people love to tell black people how to react, even with this whole thing with Sterling. They told the athletes how to react. You should still play the game. You don't let nobody keep you from playing basketball. This is bigger than – they literally told – you have white people telling black athletes how to respond to white racism. Why do they do that? Where does that come from? It comes from the historical conditioning in white people that Africans are inferior. And because we cannot think for ourselves, they have to think for us, and this is why they love to give us answers, because they don't think we could come up with our own. Crazy. All right, well, thank you, brother. I appreciate that, man. I'm definitely going to um, take all the information you just gave, um, and I will be supporting you because, you know, honestly, looking at this system, man, it's like working within it is, is not making it any easier because people just don't understand that working in the system, you still got to deal with that discrimination. Like Baron Davis said it himself, you know, he was dealing with discrimination from that owner while he was playing the game. And people don't realize that even on even at regular day work, that's what we're dealing with. You go to work and you got to deal with discrimination. People just acting acting a fool, you know. So that's why I definitely want to be a part of, of the of this type of a nation, man, and be a part of building it, not just you know living off of it, but helping to build. Even if that's donating money so that uh, so I can see others be built up. That's what that's what I'm all about. So and I thank you for uh, leading that initiative. No problem, my brother. Yes, sir. All right, y'all have a good night. Indeed. Good thanks. Peace. Peace, Paula. All right, let's go to the five six seven six nine four. Five six seven six nine four. I had something to say. Damn, why didn't I remember what it was? It was important as well. I'm gonna remember, you know, in between this call and I'm gonna jot it down. 
Call up in the five six seven six nine four. Call up, please. Peace. Greetings. Five six seven six nine four. Let's get it together now. Hello. Ah oh, man, come on, baby. Five eight six four three nine. Five eight six four three nine. Call up. Peace. Hey, what's going on, man? This is uh, Tyra. I have a few things Peace. to say. Um. When it comes to the term black, if you research a man named Johan Blumenbach, he believed that Caucasians were superior because of the way their head or their cranial, their, the, the way their cranium was shaped. And so they, they, they came up with the term white, black, red, yellow, and brown. And if you look in the science of racism, it's all, it's all how it came about. And it's not that they're superior. It's that they lack a chemical allele called TYRP1, and it's the gene that produces tyrosine, which produces melanin, you know. So if you look at a law book, it will tell you about civilius, C-I-V-I-L-U-U-S, mortius, meaning being black means you're born without rights. You're basically a felon that has no rights, but... Under slave law, the Virginia Slave Act of 1660, when they made it okay for a slave master to sleep with a woman, and if the woman gave birth to a child, the child was not, um, what's the word for it? The child was not given the, the father's inheritance, meaning the inheritance came from the father, came from the mother, not the father. Like in, in colonialism, in, in their world, in the European world, the father you get a child gets everything that the father has to offer based on him being her father, like with the kingship and all that that lines up. Well, in sixteen sixty, when the Virginia Slave Act happened, they made it that whatever child came out of the mother whatever child came out of the mother, that child was a slave. So if you're black in America or you're African in America, you're still a slave. And that's where you have the Moors. The Moors were given the Treaty of Tripoli because they were transporting slaves to America and they did not want to be caught and sold into slavery, so they were given sovereignty. So when you say you're black, you're automatically bound to slavery. You say you're African, they automatically view us as a slave. And our lineage doesn't come from our father because the white men and, and, and the Caucasians, they were the first baby daddies because they could go and sleep with a slave woman and not have to pay child support for that child. And it happened because allegedly this man named John Punch, who was supposed to be a Barack Obama's great-great-great-great-grandfather, allegedly he, he tried to escape and he was captured and he was sent back and he was bound to a, a lifetime of indentured servitude. He was bound to a lifetime of servitude, along with two other men, a Scottish man and an Irishman. They didn't get in, in that much trouble. They were given a whip and they were let go. But him, he was bound to a lifetime of servitude. And if you look back, it's supposed to be Obama's grandfather. So when you look at, like, what's really going on in the whole global scale, it's more than just the laws and stuff they're making. It's, it's magic and it's witchcraft and it's things behind it. If you look into something called the Magical Greek Papyri, it's what they, it's, they took the Egyptian spell that the Egyptians used against the Nubians, and I'm not really going to go in there, but the Egyptians used spells against the Nubians because they couldn't beat them. And when the Hyksos and the 
Greece came, they took those same rule books from the Egyptians and they used them against the blacks that we're we're up under that now. You know what I mean? It's not just that they're making laws and it's not just that they have money. They're like literally using witchcraft against us. You know, so I just wanted to get that rant off my chest. And oh Doctor Umar, nice to meet you. I'm friends with Jermaine at the community center and we're getting ready to paint a mural with you, Frederick Johnson, I mean Frederick Douglass and um Marcus Garvey all on the wall. So I just wanted to no, say that. Wow. Thank you so much, Queen. Thank you so much, Queen. Much respect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Queen. All right. Appreciate yeah, you. Yeah, most definitely. And that's some thorough research. Um I have to do you know, I have to look up some of those topics that you discussed. And we Look do appreciate you. I know what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm Plato's allegory of the cave, where that's the original making of a slave. You know what I mean? If you go all okay. the way back to antiquity, that's the original making of a slave, because the allegory says that they were all bound by the neck, and they could only look to and from, and they were all enslaved with each other. And one stepped out into the sun and was like, okay, it's like this on the other side. But when they came back in and showed the other people that were bound, they attacked them. And this is what I was asking you earlier about what can we do as a collective based on what we say and do to change it. And I think that saying that they're supreme is making them supreme because they're not. You know, ain't nothing supreme but a a taco from Taco Bell. That's a taco supreme. They're not supreme. You know, and it's the words that we use to describe ourselves. And it's the language that we speak and the words that we put out into the environment gives them power, you know. That's my personal feeling because I don't think there's nobody greater than me. You know, it sounds like an arrogant thing to say, but I don't put limitations on myself because of what I came out as in this body. You know, how I was born this time doesn't put limitations on me. They ain't got no power over me. They don't affect my life. I see the police. They say stuff. I slip in the bird, and I keep moving. They, they, They use scare tactics and intimidation and fear and, economic um, infringements and all that stuff. But if we band together and just stop hating on each other, black people just stop hating on each other and put in on something, like he was talking about the school, that's a beautiful thing. But it's going to be hard because you're going to have internal people internally. It's like it's like black people tear each other down harder than the people we fighting against. You know? And i got a problem with that. And I volunteer with Jermaine at the community center and I see, like, this dude, like, gives away 200 pounds of food every two weeks, and it's like people still complain, like, they don't have enough, or I didn't get this, or I didn't get that, or the volunteers are getting that. It's just like what's going on in the mind of people that claim they're African? What's what's really up with tribal unity when it comes to, like, feeding the village and everybody working together as a collective as a whole? What's up with that? How can that change? Because we already aware of what they're doing. But what can we do to counteract all of that? You know, that's my plight. That's right. So. That's indeed. Well, thank you. Yeah, man. Yeah. Indeed. indeed. Give my all blessings right. to Brother Jermaine, too. Huh? Okay. So give my blessings to Brother Jermaine. Tell him I said what up. I did. I tried to call him and um, tell him that you were online, and he was like, it's all the quarry too full. <laughs> Well, you can but catch yeah, the archives. This will be archived. You can share it with him, and he can listen to it tomorrow, okay? 
Yeah, for sure. We um, like we're I'm, I'm I'm working on something for the kids. I'm gonna teach these boys how to go out and work. I'm gonna get them to clean up this cleaning up around the community center, the garden because they come to my house. And one of these boys was justifying wearing pink. I said, little boy, if I catch you in some pink, I'm going to bust you in your chest like your daddy should. I know he ain't around, but I'm going to handle that for him. Don't let me see none of y'all in no pink. And it's like 10 of them. And I said, if I catch, I'm a woman. And if I catch any one of y'all in some pink, we're going to have a problem. You know? Because right. a lot of these kids ain't got no daddies. And I think the men who are the leaders, the, the men that are my age, I'm 24, I think the men should stand up and take on God's son because these boys are being raised by women. And it's not saying that a woman can't raise a man, but the, the, these boys are taking on too many feminine characteristics and the women are taking on too many male characteristics because I said something on Facebook of the nature of my husband goes to work, so, of course, I have to stay home, cook, clean, and do what a woman does. And, like, women got mad at me because I said be a woman. And I'm not saying that taking care of your house is a bad thing or that it makes a woman weak. It's just if the man is not working, that's what a woman is supposed to do, in my opinion. Because when I was growing up as a little girl, that's what my grandmother did. My grandfather went on and worked. My mother, to grandmother took care of the house. And it's like the gender roles are being mixed up so much, and it ain't even got nothing to do with white people. It's what we're doing to ourselves. What are we doing to ourselves? It ain't even about them no more because they're going to keep doing what they do. But what are we going to do, you know? So Yes, indeed. Thank you. Yeah. All right, man. I'll talk to you all later. My husband's home. I got to go. Shoot <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Y'all have- yeah, indeed. Good thing, sis. I know what I wanted to mention to you. You know, all of this is coming as well on the 22nd year anniversary of the L.A. riots. No one is speaking about that, and I'm not going to get into the whole metaphysical aspect of things, but family, as we've mentioned before, you know, this year, 2014, is a very, uh, a very magical, it's like the, the house of mirrors, you know, this year is a year of cycles, you know what I'm saying, and we know that mystical number 22 is dealing with pathways and what have you, but it's like, we're looking at 20-year cycles, seven-year cycles, especially in the 2014-year. Um, it's just some real interesting things that you should keep your eyes on. And of course, pay attention to those numbers, you know. And again, like I said, you know, you want to look into the fact that uh, we are enraptured in this new moon energy, this time of new creations and, and budding and prosperous ideas, you know, dealing with this energy of Taurus you know, working with that money. So this would be a wonderful time, you know, for Brother Umar to uh, initiate this project and put the seeds in the soil to get the family to lend a little bit of water and nurture it, okay? I want to do two or three more calls, family, okay? Let's go to the 720-720-353-720 caller. Peace. 720, caller from the 720, peace. All right. We're going to go to another 720, 256, 720, 256, caller, peace. Yo, 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 peace. What's good, Blue Pill? All is well, brother. Oh, Yes, sir. Greetings, peace. 
Yo, yo, peace, King. Dr. Umar, quick question for you. What uh, HBC are you looking at? This is the line we get out Denver, Colorado. Shout out, Adi, oh. shout out, Kayla, shout out, Michael. Peace and love, my brother. I'm not able to uh, release that name just yet until right, we have right, a uh, deal inked on paper. But once I do, I will release it, and so we should know real soon. I mean, we're talking within a week or so, so um, once I know, the community will know. So please make sure you text Dr. Umar to 36,000. Be the first to find out. Oh, yeah, no question, no question. Yeah, I appreciate you. Um, you know, the state, I know you're going through the purchase agreements and everything, trying to get everything squared away with the paperwork, so you don't want to disclose too much information, but what's the state? Is I can't say the state either. <laughs> oh, I, I, it well, ain't with know. so many HBCUs. I'll say the state is going to be easy to figure it out which one it is. So All I got right. the hope, but it won't be long, my brother. It won't be long. I promise you that. I know, Doug. Yeah, make sure you do it. Of course, the new covenant way, all free and clear. You know what I mean? No encumbrances, no names. I'm quite sure you're familiar with that information. Definitely. Ha. All right, God. Appreciate you, Phil. Dr. Umar. Thank you. All right now. Be blessed. Thank you. Peace. 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 Let's go to the 646 492 646 caller. Peace. Hello. Greetings. Hello. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say thank you so much, Dr. Umar. Um, I appreciate everything that you have done for our black people. And, um, you know, just keep doing what you do. And thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much, Queen. I appreciate the words. Believe me, I really do. Thank you. <laughs> I met you a while back. Um, I'm also from Philly. And um, I just want to say that I would definitely send my kids to your school. And because um, how these schools are today is horrible. Um it's a lot of racism that's going around. My kids are noticing. And, um, you know, it's it's really, it's hard. It really is hard, especially when you're a person that sees everything. So um, I just want to say thank you, and I appreciate you so very much. I wish I could go to your um, your dream thing, but I can't. It was that last moment. I just found out about it. I wish I could go, but maybe next time. <laughs> Definitely. We're going to be doing it every year, Queen. We're going to be doing okay. it every year. All right. Thank you so very much. Y'all have a good night. You do the same. All right. Thank you. Well, thank you so very much for your kind words. You have a wonderful night as well. Okay? All right. Thank you. Yes, and family, you can download this episode once you're finished. All right. I'm getting a lot of requests online. People want to know how to get to the program. They can't download it till on, but once this is over, you can download it, share it with your friends. Make this the water cooler conversation tomorrow, okay? All of my black folks out there, you know, kindly email this to your white friends. Let them play it. Let them see what's going on. Let them start a discussion. See, you know, pull it out of them. See what's really on their mind. Okay, bring it to the forefront. And then call in next week and tell us what happened. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's take one more call for the evening. All right, 
And you know what, Pill, before you take your last call, let me do this really, yes. really, 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 really quick. Do a quick rundown before we take that last call. Let us yes, start with uh, this Saturday. This coming Saturday, I will be in Norfolk, Virginia, Tidewater Park Elementary School, 1 to 6, for emergency, seven cities of Virginia, Team Pan-African Meeting of the Minds. It's free. doesn't cost any money, 1 to 6 Saturday. And then we will have the afterflow from 8 to 1 at Truth and Knowledge Bookstore. Sunday, this Sunday, I will be at Howard University, Washington, D.C., from 2 to 7 at the Blackburn Center of Howard University celebrating Ujama Shoelace's 47th anniversary, 47 years, independent education, not a single white dollar from the white man. So we're going to be there to celebrate our brother Wednesday. I will be flying to St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands. I will be doing a tour of the country, of the island. I will be back on Tuesday, and then Friday I fly to Boston, Massachusetts. I'll be speaking on the 60th anniversary of the Brown versus Board of Education decision, May 17th of 1954 to May 17th of 2014. And then that night, Brother Wesley Muhammad and myself will be doing a tag team lecture for the black Boston community, Friday, May 23rd, Saturday, May 24th, and Sunday, May 25th, Tulsa, Oklahoma, for the Black Wall Street celebration. Saturday, May 31st, Dayton, Ohio, Central State for the Race Now Conference, and then Sunday, June 1st, Cincinnati, Ohio, at the Asili Museum. June 6th and 7th, Friday and Saturday, I will be back in Hotlanta, Georgia, the first weekend in June, second weekend in June, Saturday the 14th, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, Tuesday, June 17th, graduation speaker, Longstreth Elementary in Philadelphia, Friday, June 20th, Juneteenth Celebration, Richmond, Virginia, Saturday, June 21st, Fab Five, Baba Dick Gregory, Dr. Francis Wilson, um, Baba Anthony Browder, Baba Claude Anderson, Dr. Umar Johnson, we will all be in Washington, D.C. for Brother uh, Carl of WOL, D.C. He will be having his first power conference. So that's going to be 2 to 7, the Fab Five, Washington, D.C., all five of us in the same place. And the last one I'll stop with because there's too many to go through is Houston, Texas. I'll be debuting in Houston first time Friday and Saturday, June 27th and June the 28th. Brothers and sisters, please text Dr. Umar to 36000 for regular updates. Please go to dreamertours.com. Get on the Black Star Line. We're going to Africa. We're going to Ghana, and we want you with us, dreamertours.com. If you're on Facebook, you can follow me at Dr. Umar E. Fatunde. Some of y'all said I was maxed out. I'm not maxed out on my public page. Dr. Umar E. Fatunde, I-F-A-T-U-N-D-E. Website, Dr. Umar Johnson. Email, Dr. Umar Johnson at Yahoo. And then if you're on Twitter, Instagram, or WhatsApp, you can get me at Dr. Umar Johnson. Of course, phone number 215-989-9858. Help me buy this HBCU for our children. Ashe, you got it, Bill.
Did you and say it? Did you mention your um your New York date in May? That's Ooh, how did I skip that? How did I skip that? Oh my goodness! Because he's supposed yes, to highlight sir, thank that. Thank you. In fact, I skipped two yeah. of them too. I don't even know how I did that. How did I do that? Oh man! You know why? Because I ain't got them written in my calendar. I got them written in my mind. Okay. Wednesday. I got. It. I'm glad you got yeah. me, man. I'm glad you got me. Wednesday, May 14th, I will be speaking. For Brother Alton Maddox, Queen Mother Leola, and the Uni- and the United African Movement, I will be at 1061 Atlantic Avenue. 1061 Atlantic Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, Wednesday, May the 14th, 6 o'clock. You don't want to miss it. I was rocking my UAM jacket. They sent me United African Movement jacket as a gift to me. Thank you so much, Queen Mother Maddox. And Baba Maddox, I love them too, and the whole uh, United African movement. So that's Wednesday, May 14th. And then Monday, the 19th, Malcolm X Day, I will be in Patterson, New Jersey, at the Masonic Temple. No, I'm not a Mason. I don't belong to no secret societies. That's just where the brothers and sisters are holding the event. Malcolm X Day, Monday, May 19th, Patterson, New Jersey. If anybody needs a flyer for any of the events, Go to my Facebook, Dr. Umar Ifatunde. Go to my Twitter, Dr. Umar Johnson. Go to my Instagram, Dr. Umar Johnson. Or text me for the flyer, 215 215-989-9858. 215-989-9858. Make sure you text Dr. Umar to 36000. You'll get all the details to every event coming to your phone without you having to ask for it. Amazing, y'all. My brother has a full itinerary. Just like I said, I had no idea that there were that many melanated communities. I'm just kidding. But I didn't know that that many people had events organized around the country. It's beautiful to hear that there are things continuously going on. Our people are being progressive enough to put on events and just connect with one another. And our people are everywhere. So that's beautiful. I commend you, brothers, that are answering your calling and hitting that highway, you know what I'm saying, and putting the miles underneath your belt. So I hope to see you at some of those events myself. And yes, sir. For that. Yeah. You know, and I see more so on deck as well, you know. Oh, man, the sea moss is off the hook. Thanks for that sea moss in L.A., brother. I got it like three of them. I think Absolutely. somebody took one by accident. <laughs> <laughs> it was by accident. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't by accident, but um, shame on them. Okay, let's go to the eight three two. I think this is a Texas number, and that Houston date—that's gonna be a blowout. I might have to come down for that personally. Houston family—they've been waiting for this, and they definitely deserve it. Shout out to the eight town, powerful, powerful people, powerful energy in that place. Period. You know, just the environment, the whole aspect of, of the dynamics. You know, just the geography of Houston, it has a very, you know how when they say you go to Miami and it has that energy that is, is which reminds you of our home? Right. Houston has that, that, that very same energy, very magnetic, you know, beautiful place, beautiful people. And they ain't scared down there. That's a beautiful thing as well. 
right? Let's go to the 832. Call up from the 832-267. Call up. Call up from the 832. Assalamu alaikum, fam. Peace and blessing to the Oh, man, y'all don't even know, brothers. Y'all know, actually, this is speaking about the magnetic energy in Houston. Man, I'm sitting over here, you know, on my mind, what do I leave with, with the pills and Brother Omar, <laughs> Dr. Omar, and the night? So I'm just going to say, I'm just going to drop this on y'all. Y'all can drop a bomb on this after I say this, okay? Aside yes, rules to live by, okay? Avoid solutions that are worse than a problem. It's a great art to do the right thing at the right time. The tyrant will always find reason for his tyranny. Those who cry the loudest are not always the most hurt. Example is a more powerful than reproach. Liars are not believed even when they tell the truth. One man's meat is another man's poison. A bird in the hand is worth two in a bush. Stretch your arm no further than your sleeve will reach. Mean are the unreliable narrators of their own stories. Noticity is often mistaken for fame. Honesty is the best policy. The wise man says nothing in dangerous times. Better the devil you know than the one you don't. He who is discontented in one place will seldom be happy in another. Do boldly what you can do at all. The worth of money is not in its possession, but in its use. The quarrels of friends are the opportunities of foes. When worrying about the shadow, we often lose the substance. And lastly, those who speak to please everybody, please no one. Legendary show, man. Ladies and gentlemen, you, we are in 2021. Hollis Gemstone. Man, Hollis Gemstone, brother. brother. I think you need to make some wallpaper for the brother's school so that could be plastered throughout the hallway and it could be indelibly printed on the minds and the consciousness of the student body. You know, that's, that's, those are some beautiful words to live by right there. I mean, I mean, amen, rock. I'm very proud. Yeah, I'm going to hang up on that, man, and, and listen to this legendary show and, and spread it throughout these internets and waves and all that, man. Believe me, I let people know about two twins I met in Boston a couple years back. You know, and, and Omar Johnson came up to help my brother Lightspeed do a great event uh, at Hibernia Hall just a, uh, earlier, late last year, earlier yes, this sir. year. Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah, those are my peoples here in Houston. We're doing it big, SOS Radio. La ilaha illallah. There's nothing worthy of worship except the one that, it, that created this whole system. All the systems of knowledge was created before we came here. And we need to be caretakers of this earth, the leafers of the earth, and literally take care of it. 
It's ours. We're here. We're the ones to live in, not in, in the gravestone. Man. And in that dash period between your birth date and, and the date you're going to put on your death, a uh, Gregorian date, literally, man, we we operating on a, on a time where it's not defined like that. It's going, it's moving too fast. We're, how far away from we are we from when you started the show today, spatially, time and space-wise? Hmm. Man, the progress is immense and massive, higher than the towers. Twin pills? Man, they brought down the towers. When y'all spoke on that, it gives me chills because Abdul Wahid Muhammad dropped the Jack and the Beanstalk story for the whole decade since September 11th. Hijackers out of Boston, Massachusetts, Beantown? Out of New York? Man, y'all need to just check with me on that, Akis. The Aesop Fables it, it was, was good enough for, for everybody. We will have that on on the walls for sure. The schools and universities, brother, oh, man. He transitioned so smoothly from dropping the science on what needed to be said after four days of a, a, a media onslaught to put our consciousness of the, pen, the phenome of race, the false phenome of race being put up as, as, as the topic of du jour, but that's just the left hand of the Wizard of Oz. What do they have on the right hand? Maybe it's the war in Ukraine or some other uh, diabolical scheme that they, that they plan to put out on us. I know I'm talking to the knowledge radio right now. No, the red radio people, I'll just say, put your hand on your heart and feel that. And when you go to sleep tonight, stop counting sheep going over a fence. Slow down, calm down, count your heartbeats, and you'll be asleep soon. I mean. Indeed. Thank you, brother. I say peace. I say. Okay. Say, can we do one more caller real quick? Yes, sir. Nine one seven four zero three. Let's make it good, y'all. Call it for the nine one seven piece. Nine one seven four zero three. Peace, peace, peace. It's Twin Pillars and Brother Umar. Peace and love. Peace, peace. Actually, this is Brother Leku. Actually, I had Susan on the three way, and she had a question, but it looked like a call dropped. I don't know. But you said went, you had but, a question, Leku? Uh, actually, I had Susan on the three-way, and she had a question. But what I'm saying is a call drop. But oh, even, you had Susan? Okay. Any yeah, questions, but, comments, or concerns from you real quick? We got a few minutes left. I, I guess, yeah, gratitude, Dr. Umar. You, you, spread a, you spoke volumes tonight. And these three hours, is, like the last caller, it was like 30 hours, and now you just downloaded. And I'm very grateful for that. And... I don't even know what to say. I'm, I'm still in shock and awe right now. Tell them, tell them, tell them you're getting that resume together. Tell them you're getting that resume because this is another one of our young geniuses in the community. You got that computer IT information, you know what I'm saying, and, and that network ah, marketing information down packed. Might want to get that resume. The baby, you're so, have a major, major yeah. IT curriculum for the youth, so you might want to get up on that. Oh yeah, resumes. I'm thinking sales letters for the um, even as the proposals for the 501c3 to send out to these investors. Yes, sir. This is just ideas is yes, pumping out me right now. I've been writing like all night. Oh man, send them straight to me, my brother. Send them straight. To yeah. Me. Yeah, the wheels are spinning. You know what I'm saying the family is definitely going to get on this. And um, with that, you know, I want you to wrap up and conclude. Whatever you're gonna leave us with. Are you finished, Brother Lake? Cool. You had uh any more questions? 
Oh no, that was it. I I don't even know what to say, honestly, okay. yo, twin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm gonna just I ain't gonna mute your phone. I'll leave you there. You know what I'm saying? Because I know that it's just spirit of reverence. We appreciate what you heard tonight, as we all do. And brother, if nothing else, we just put that 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 positive, uplifting energy around you. That all of your endeavors will become our endeavors, and they will be successful. And again, like I said, we're doing it under this new moon energy, so so mode it be. You know what I'm saying? There should be nothing left to it but to do it. So I look forward to that announcement. We'll rally the troops and get on top of things and do what needs to be done. Okay? Can you please yes, leave us from the partner words, my good brother? Oh, man, I'll leave you with a quote from my Honorable Frederick Douglass. No, no. For 20 years, I prayed on my knees to God for freedom, but the good Lord gave me no freedom until I got up off my knees and began to pray with my feet. He said, men may not get all they pay for, but they must certainly pay for all that they get. If there is no struggle, there is no progress. It is the victim who determines how well they are treated because we determine when our oppressors stop beating us, not our oppressors. That if a man is on his face, leave him there, don't pick him up. If you pick up a man before he's ready, he's going to fall right back down. So you didn't help him, you only hurt him. Power can seize nothing without a demand. It never did, and it never will. The Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey said, without confidence in ourselves, without confidence in ourselves, we are twice defeated in the race of life. But with confidence, we have won even before we have started. Brothers and sisters, we have won even before we have started.